I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? That's right. It's Wednesday. It's the 21st of July in the year of our Lord 2021. And it is time, everybody, for Morning Combat. Hello, everyone. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas, and my daughter is having a conniption fit about five feet outside of my door at this moment. You're going to hear her banging on it like someone trying to serve a summons to somebody who else is in debt. On the other side of the screen, <laughs> on the other side of the screen is uh, well, it's the King of Connecticut, whose kids I don't think are banging down the door like someone trying to serve a summons. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Can you hear the melee outside my uh, my door? I can. I can, Luke. And I'm I'm strumming your pain with my fingers one time because I'm you know Mr. Mom, chauffeur, entertainment machine, cook, uh, cleaner. I mean, what the hell do our wives do when we're traveling, Luke? It's seemingly everything. Okay, so shout out to uh, what you're juggling this week, as am I. But you know, Luke, I still was ready to come big time. You know, you're gonna come come on. I'm gonna bring it on Hump Day here. Okay, No Jay Wednesday, Wheel of Death, great stuff. Fired up. Let's do this thing, Luke. Okay, put on your game face. Let's bang. I'm actually ready. I'm ready to do this. I'm actually excited about the the show today for a lot of reasons, not least of which is we're previewing the weekend's card for the UFC, which is just a fight night card, not a pay-per-view, not a numbered event in the sense of, you know, UFC 260, whatever, just a fight night card. And BC, you know as well as I do, this card is awesome. It's really, really, really good, uh, top to bottom. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about maybe Logan Paul's next move. Conor McGregor's still out there making news. We have some news in terms of uh, a big... Uh, pay-per-view on the boxing side of things and bc true or false there's a wheel of death today there's a last minute wheel of death because your boy was too busy dadding out to remember to put it together so uh do i do my best work under pressure luke we're gonna find out as you get put in the vice grip of all things wod so i'm fired up for that look we have i normally don't peep the fan submissions every wednesday but our producer mikey uh revealed we have Maybe an all-time great fan submission to reveal today from uh, okay. from one brethren in Stockton, California. So uh, I, I cannot believe the the events that have happened, Luke. Uh, hey, Web Scream, somebody's coming for your throne, brother. Okay? That's all, all I have right. to say about that. All right, all right, all right. So uh, standard disclaimers you can see about contacting the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. Not just for Wednesday's uh, fan submissions, but Friday's dead wrong. What do we get wrong? You can tell us. Just make sure you have documented proof. Email us, morningcombat at gmail.com. Make sure you're not an asshole and you <laughs> you can back it up, yeah. Dude, I have so many people who write me and be like, oh, you got this wrong. And I'll be, it'll be like something like quite obviously correct that they just don't know or didn't realize or something. I've had a couple of people like double down and they ended up being correct. But in general, people who directly email me my dead wrongs, they get them wrong. So email the show. Probably a better chance of being right. Uh, also, if you want to try Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com, you get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go uh, bounce. And by the way, the ratings for the Charlo Castaño fight 
you know, very, very good for Showtime, the best in, yes. I think, 19 months for one of their boxing events. So, um, and we are, that de- what, delivered. less than a week plus out from Pitbull McKee. I'm sorry, you're going to need Showtime. So, Luke, are they still able to, to, to pound sand after 30 days if they didn't like it? You don't really that, say that, that much. They are. I, I don't think they're going to need to, but if that's an option that they want, they can certainly have that. But you're right, Bellator 263. Easily one of the best fights on paper in Bellator history. Folks, I've been covering Bellator for long before the people currently running it ever got there. And I'm telling you, this is one of the best fights that they've ever made. why don't you just say it's the best fight ever? I know you're quick to head to say it's not the biggest. No one's saying it's the biggest. There were commercially bigger fights. Why can't you just go on the record and say Pitbull McKee is the best fight Bellator has ever put out there? It's got to happen. It's got to happen first. I mean, what if the fight ends up sucking or it's an eye poke or something terrible happens? I'm not obviously wishing that, but what I I think what you're pointing out is it's got all the ingredients to be that, and I certainly would agree that it does, but you got to let it play out just a little bit. So we'll see how that goes. Also, be on the lookout, as you know. Look, we're live every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but YouTube.com slash Morning Combat, you find out quickly that it's basically MK all day, nearly every day, not just Luke's live chat tomorrow, but I'm expected, Luke, in the next 48 hours to have interviews with Aspen Ladd, TJ Dillashaw, Rachel Ostovich. So a little bit of MK side business going here for your boy, BC. Happy to get these out to the world. Very good. I look forward to that. Dillashaw should be a fun interview. I'm looking forward to yours with that one. So be on the lookout for that as well. And uh, oh, we got merch. Morning Combat, for example, this is on store. I don't even know if you can get this on store 2.0 which is a bit of a problem that we have two different stores, BC, but here, let me put this in this way so you can see it. We have it. two stores and none of them sell this mug, but it's a great mug, Luke. All right? <laughs> yeah. But for now, you can go to morningcombat.store. You can get merch out there. We appreciate everyone who's patience. Um, hopefully now, if you're the, the morningcombat.store one is where you can go if you're from Norway or, you know. I've looked up data on like, hey, how many people in Colombia watch this show? You know what the answer is, BC? Not even my in-laws. The answer is nobody. They had no support for the show from, from the place that I You know what we should do? To. We should put my countries against your countries and find out who's who's repping MK better. All right, I'll put Lithuania and the province of Quebec up there against uh, India, uh, Qatar, uh, Armenia, Luke. Okay, I'll take all your nations down, bro. See, that's tough because some of those – yeah, you're right. Like, Colombia just kind of bailed on me, but Armenia might show up big in some of those numbers. We'll have to take a look. But in any event, so that's that. Um, all right, I think we got all of the disclaimers out of the way. So, BC, why don't we kick things off here with topic number one. Let's start, as we always do on Wednesday, not so much with the X's and O's. We'll wait for Friday to do some of that. But let's talk some storylines. As I mentioned, UFC Fight Night Vegas, whatever number it is at this point – But the headlining card is going to be TJ Dillashaw returning after more than two years away against the rising sensation, maybe your future number one contender if he wins this bout, in Corey Sandhagen. BC, we'll start with you. When you think about the relevant storylines, I'm going to guess it's hard to not talk about why TJ Dillashaw was away for two years and what that means for this bout. TJ Tillishaw, without question, is the dominant storyline. Obviously, tied in there hugely is is the fact that it's basically a number one contender bout and that this is like a pay-per-view quality level fight that's going to be a main event here on a seemingly random fight night, which, as you mentioned, Luke, has a lot of good storylines and fights to itself. I mean, I looked at this card on Wikipedia and was like, your body is banging, baby. I love it when you flaunt it. Time to give it to daddy. Tell me, how do you want it, right? Well, you know how I want it. I want to find out if TJ Dillashaw it still has it. And I do, uh, you know, we, we tend to promote our brethren in this game, whether it's all the smoke or the great uh, professional comedian Brendan Schaub, who had a very good food truck diaries with TJ Dillashaw mm. that's fresh and out there addressing 
you know, the stigma of the USADA stain, the comeback and all that. And Luke, you know, one thing that TJ was really interested in making sure the public realizes is that they went back and tested all the samples for all of his previous fights and it came up clean. Now, you know, that doesn't mean he was clean. You can take that for what it is in, in the, the history of drug testing. But here's a guy who has a lot to prove. And what I love about it, Luke, was he admitted to Brendan that, you know, he turned down potential softer comeback fights. He wanted the smoke. He wanted to make up for lost time. And, Luke, he's not young at all. Do you know his age offhand? What is he, like 35-ish? 35. He was 33 when he got lost his title. 35. I mean, That's he's not only 35. 35 at a weight class where you don't age well. I mean, you know, at all. And a guy reliant upon speed and reaction time. So he's got a lot to prove. And Luke, that there's really, I mean, that's without question the dominant storyline here. Can TJ still be the same? Has he used those two years to improve? Is it possible to improve from that high level he was in knocking out Cody Garbrandt twice? And, you know, I thought he got screwed on the cards against Dom Cruz in a close, great, you know, tactical great fight. He was at a level where we were basically saying, is he the greatest bantamweight of all time? I mean, he was really at that level. Can he return to that? It's not going to be easy. Corey Sanhagen has every possible category to show you that this could be a, a tough night at the office. But, Luke, I want to spin the storyline back on you and say something that I really hadn't thought about that was a big talk on the shop sit-down, which was Sanhagen and Dillashaw are former sparring mates back in the day. How much do you think that potentially plays anything into the build to this one in terms of how confident they are in facing each other? Yeah, I've spoken to Corey about that a couple of times, uh, you know, what he made about it. Because initially, they were in different places in their career. TJ was a champion, obviously, you know, a few years ago. And a few years ago, a guy like Corey, I mean, I think even as late as 2017, he was fighting an LFA or RFA, whichever version it was back then. So it took him some time to get up here. He's just, you know, uh, obviously made a lot of the work in, in TJ's absence. So he has some pretty strong familiarity with him. And I was asking him, like, you know, do you have any sort of uh, hard feelings towards the guy? He, he didn't. Um, I think the reason why Sanhagen likes the bout is because, obviously, TJ never lost his belt, man. Folks forget about that. Like, you know, no one took it from him except the UFC, but no fighter took it from him. You didn't, you didn't, no one beat the guy to become the man at this weight class. Obviously, TJ, TJ Dillashaw lost a 125, but not 135. And so I think he feels like it's a little bit uncertain and out in the open there. And plus, like, Dillashaw was kind of the gold standard a little bit, not just because he was the champion, but you could just look at the way in which he competed, the intensity, the preparation, and frankly, the advanced skill set that he had. And I think Sandhagen has kind of always thought, if everyone's going to crown this guy being sort of not unbeatable, but, you know, this is the guy to beat at bantamweight, maybe that's not the case now, although we'll see, but it was certainly the case a little while ago and I feel like Sanhagen, he didn't tell me this exactly, BC, but the feeling I got was like, I want to prove that that is not the case, that I that whatever you thought about him, I'm already past that. Not that he's like fallen off. He actually thinks that Dillashaw is going to come back and look pretty good, just that he's going up against him, so it won't really matter. That That's the, the feeling I've gotten from talking to him. Luke, given the age of Dillashaw and those questions that we need answered, you know, is he still elite? Is he potentially the same guy, not on the stuff? How long has he been on the stuff? All that, all those questions that are in our mind entering this. Do you, How much do you think Dillashaw's game will have changed given the two-year break and given the fact that he's got to be aware that, you know, he's 35? Not, not that he's going to show up old overnight, but do you think he'll be more wrestling dependent? Do you think he'll be looked to be more of a counter slugger than, you know, quick Nat who's in and out jumping in there? It, it, it's a question of... Um... 
So my storyline for this, BC, I, I can answer your question this way. My storyline for this fight is, I think, something that people don't really think about too much. Which is, we know, I mean, this show is living proof, but we know, BC, that like MMA and boxing are more intertwined now than ever. In some ways, promotionally, you know, Clarissa Shields doing big things in PFL, you got these weird crossover exhibition fights, and it's, everything's kind of coming and going. But, you know, you're seeing a lot more cross-training, you're seeing a lot more boxing trainers in MMA, and um, you're seeing a lot more guys training with boxers, and, and there's also a lot more acceptance in boxing of MMA's place than there used to be. I'm telling you folks, and BC can back this up, 15 years ago, boxing was A, way more popular than MMA, and B, there still is gonna be a rivalry BC for as long as these two sports are around, but it was a lot more hostile, there's a lot more distance between the sports, there was no community, so to speak, between them. That's not the case anymore. Why do I bring that up? Because one of the reasons now that you're seeing a lot more positive attitudes about MMA on the boxing side. Again, not that they're like, oh, we love MMA so much, but you know, there's certainly a lot less negative than they used to be. It is because, frankly, the game got a lot better. Dude, the striking used to be bad in MMA, or at least not very good. It's pretty good. Now, it's very different from, obviously, boxing stance and, and, and gloves and um, target areas and whatnot, but it's gotten way, way, way better. Dude, part of the reason why this fight to me is so interesting is that, man, this is like the mod... I mean, okay, TJ's 35, but in terms of the game that we think he's carrying and the game that we know Corey Sandhagen is carrying is this modern game of moving and feints and camouflage and just pinpoint accuracy and um, uh, all the things that you know it to be. This was a match that was not even possible at 135, I don't know, six or seven years ago. You couldn't get two guys who were not title holders who could do the things that these two could do. And it's a testament to how far MMA has come. It's a testament to the growth of Bantamweight. And it's a testament to these two individuals for being vanguards of this vast improvement in the striking arts of the mixed martial arts that we commonly know and understand. And I think we should not lose sight of how good we have it. Oh, yeah, and how great we have it that this got postponed and that this is you know, the same weekend that was supposed to be Fury Wilder 3, now you don't get that, but it's not much of a hiccup because this fight is... I, I'm glad this fight gets the central attention, Luke, because it deserves it. So, so uh, let, me you know, you, wanna... let, let, let me ask you this, BC. Yeah. If Sandhagen loses, and I say that in a way where, let's say, Dillashaw wins convincingly, whatever that means, does he deserve a title shot? I know it's crowded at the top, but what do you make of where he should go based on a victory? My personal stance is the winner of this fight should get the next title shot after they sort out the Jan Aljo rematch. It was obviously a disappointing way that the title changed hands. We all kind of wish it that the sport had some kind of alternate rules for that situation that wouldn't involve, uh, or at least I do. I don't want to speak for everybody. At least I do, Luke. But we need that clarity. We need that closure of that series. But I think without question, the winner here should get it. Sandhagen's already been deserving on the outside looking in. Yes, he lost to Aljo and that, you know, took a step back. But man, did he repair that in such a powerful way. And Dillashaw's got the name, man. And to your point, no one took the belt from him. So I never thought Dillashaw should have parachuted back in coming off the suspension and get rewarded with a title shot. I hate that shit. I hate it when Lesnar walked in the cage and pushed DC that time and was going to get rewarded from his, you know, colossal steroid uh, miss and, and get that. But you go out there and beat Corey Sandhagen, dude, what, what, what else are you going to ask of TJ? Yeah, give him, give him that title shot. No question yeah. about it. So I'm with you. I thought a fight that made a little bit more sense would have been the fight against Aldo, but they didn't make it. They made this one instead. 
Maybe this one's even better. And I agree with you. The winner of this one absolutely should get the winner of Jan versus Aldo, especially if it's Sanhagen too. You know, Sanhagen goes, I mean, Sanhagen just ran through Frankie Edgar in what, 30 seconds in his last fight, something insane. I think if he does that again, then, uh, or not, you know, obviously he doesn't have to beat him in 30 seconds, but if he does something kind of similarly impressive, I don't know how you can deny the guy. Um, any other storyline from the boon. fight? We didn't talk. We don't talk enough about this. Is a big boon for this division, which was already loaded. Was already kind of we considered it after lightweight, maybe the best division in the sport. And obviously, look, there's there's some featherweights great right now. Women's strawweight's always gonna bang me, Luke. At least, well, at least I hope it would. Uh, but uh, this division now just gets a star and former champion and one of the all-time greats just dropped right back in the middle of the picture. So even if Dillashaw loses but looks good, you're going to be able to make so many great fights off of this, Luke. What a what a embarrassment of riches the UFC has in in most of their divisions right now. I mean, you know, Luke, this Luke, would you say these are the best of times? I know we didn't plan this as some kind of alternate angle here, but are these the best of times in MMA history to be a fan right now? It's a pretty fucking good time, man. It's a pretty good time. I mean, you have to understand, there was a long time where the UFC was doing really well and hot and had exploded, certainly after the Ultimate Fighter, but it was still something of a try-hard league where they didn't have good sponsors. They had, you know, Mickey's Get Stung and, you know, the, the, the celebs that would show up. You know, even back then, you know, credit to Shaq. Shaq's been ahead of the curve. Shaq, I think, showed up to, like, one of the UFC 40s or something, something a long time ago. Um but, you know, a lot of times it's like, hey, Antonio Sabato Jr. is tweeting about it. And now it's like, you know, if you're a fan and you became a fan in the last couple of years, you have no idea what it used to be. And so, uh, I, yes, I agree that, like, between how much more commercially viable it is, BC, and to my previous point, how the game is just continuing to get better and better. There's well, content look, every it, week. Dude, it's like it a, feels it's like a phenomenal more, time. It feels like there's more dynamic potential champion fighters than ever before. Right. If you like, yeah, it just feels like there are just people coming out of the woodwork that are ready to compete. And you're like, holy shit, like every single week. Then you mix that with, you know, we all know we could live and die alone on UFC and MMA and more or less be filled. But, you know, then you got the PFL playoffs coming up. Then you got Bellator with the biggest fight ever. I don't even know what's going on in one. But every once in a while, they get us to pay attention, Luke. It's just a great time to be alive for all the for all the struggles. Of being in a of being a top level boxing fan, and by the way, calendar wise, if you look at the last decade, it's actually a good time right now to be a boxing fan. Yet you still got to deal with some of the ish that's just naturally there. It's a freaking great time to be an MMA fan. So what a time to be alive! What a time to host the best show in combat sports today, Luke. Okay, so count your blessings, brother. All right, because ever also, since I showed I'll, up in your life, it's just been—I mean, it's just been a, a you know walk in the clouds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'd say it's the, actually the other way around. But I want to point something out here, BC. If you look at these odds. You've got, I think, however many bouts are on the card. Only one of them, literally only one of them, has any fighter in the minus 300 range. That being Sajara Eubanks. All the rest of them are either, either fighter is in the 100 range or the 100-200. And that's it. All the way up and down. I mean, it goes back to the point about, like, you know, what kind of MMA do you want? Certainly, you know, when UFC is hot and rocking, our lives are a lot better. Obviously, we want the fighters to make a lot more than they make. I really hope that they do. But I do worry about changes to the industry to make it like boxing because it would make cards like this um, not impossible, but a lot harder to come by, or at least certainly a lot rarer, I, I would say. And, you, you know, if you're a consumer right now, um, you have it good. You have it very, very, very good. Now, that takes us to the second topic, BC. We stay on the card itself, but there are other gems around it, particularly that 
co-main event. Let's start there for just a second, BC. Aspen Ladd taking on Macy. I always mispronounce her last name, I think. Chiasin? 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 Um, uh, Kyasin, maybe? Kyasin? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I think she's out of 4-7 MMA. She's a great fighter. Aspen Ladd has been kind of this... this, this um, well, you thought maybe the next big thing, and then she had the hiccup against Jermaine Duran to me, but we know Duran to me got a lot... She was always pretty good, but got a lot better. Since then, Ladd has, I think, redeemed herself... This fight, it seems to me, BC, winner of it probably gets a title shot, would you say? Or maybe winner of this gets Tate? How do you, how do you assess what's, to, what's on the line here? To be honest, it's very tough to say. Even though we, we cry a lot that this division is so uh, top-heavy, but even worse than that, just barren outside, you know, after Amanda. The reality is it's actually in a fun spot, not just Tate's comeback. You got Holm and GDR both wanting big fights. Irene Aldana just had a big win, so... Look, a great opportunity for Aspen Land to remind us who she is. I think it's a winnable fight, although Macy's won two in a row and is, is starting to turn herself around. But Aspen at 26 does have a lot to answer, Luke. She had that, you know, 10-second hiccup, whatever it was, against GDR. But the way she came on against Yana Kunitskaya in a close fight, in the fight that followed that, when we kind of needed to see who Aspen was. Do you remember her, her trainer challenging her to get out there and get the finish? And she came out in round three and absolutely put it on the Hammers girl and hammered her, Luke. Uh and uh, impressively, then she tears the ACL, MCL, and all the CLs in her knee. So, um, Luke, there's a lot to answer physically, but you know she's got that 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 strong ground game. She's she's aggressive. She's young. She's I don't know. There's a lot to build off of here. Where this is a very big comeback fight, but you can say at the very least she's going to get a big name next if she wins this. So plenty at stake. I'm looking forward to talking to her to see how she's recovering physically and mentally. But she's a player in this division. I mean, maybe in the in the past we were like, you know, she's just somebody next to feed to Nunes because we don't have anybody else. Now, Luke, Luke, we've got some fun matchups to make at 135. Would you say this is the most vi viable the division has been since Amanda initially cleaned everybody out? I mean, this is this is fun times here. Yeah, and you're just seeing a bit of a reordering of the division. Now, as it stands, Chiasin, again, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, please forgive me, uh, is sitting at 10, Aspen Ladd sitting at 3. Ladd is a lot further along, so... Of the two, Chiasin has way, way more ground. She could make up with a big win here. That would be huge for her. Um, but with Aspen Ladd, dude, I, I, you know, we've said it before. We have to be fair about it. When you come into the UFC very, very early in your career, at least early in your age, you got to give these people a little bit of time to become, frankly, different people, different fighters. Much Not just better, but more developed. And, and, and some of the things you'll know them for, their weaknesses, will go away. And some of their strengths will build. You know, she's still so young that... I, I, I agree that any kind of injury comeback, you always got to be a little bit managed in your expectations. But at the same time, man, I do, she's not hyped for by accident. She is very, very, very good. And I think she's grown up a lot in the octagon. That, that, that fight you're talking about, the Kunitskaya fight, where, you know, they had to kind of slap her, not quite literally, but they had to kind of metaphorically slap her around to, like, dial into this. And then once she did, she obviously had a tremendous performance. I mean, it shows you internally what is there. But the, the, the competitive ability to draw upon that more easily, more readily, you know, those are the kinds of things that someone who's a little bit more experienced is going to be able to do. And so... I, I'm really curious about this fight. I think Chiasin is a hammer. She has good wrestling, good ground and pound. She, she's, I think she's going to be the bigger of the frame of the two. Lad's a little small-ish for the weight class. Um, 
But this is a hell of a fight, man, and big, big stakes for women's bantamweight. Title shot, I don't know. I think, BC, I think you're right. No, but I don't think definitely so. Definitely a big fight afterwards. You mentioned great odds on this card. You know, minus 195, according to William Hill, is the Sanhagen as the favorite in the main event, plus 165 for Dillashaw. Then you look at this co-main, plus 160 for Macy as the underdog, minus 190 for Aspen Ladd. So it shows you how much... Uh, is expected to be a good one, Luke, and um, I, I think I think that third round for Ladd against Kunitskaya showed us that there's another gear. There's 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 a you know there's a de- there's a more aggressive ground and pounding warrior in there that that hopefully she used the last year and a half through her injury recovery to activate because there's some big fights to make. But Luke, I don't want to go any further in this show without you really you know making room for this giant erection coming to talk all things Macy Barber Miranda Maverick cuz this is your this is your sloppy super not sloppy this is your super bowl look you've been waiting for this type of fight yes okay we don't have to sexualize the preview we see and in fact i don't want to because i you got to be fair to women's aim, women's mma like it's still not quite on par with the men's game for a lot of different reasons in general in general but obviously you're going to get pockets of that where they're going to be better or at least at a bare minimum the same. Dude, Miranda Maverick at Women's Flyweight taking on Macy Barber. I can't overstate how awesome I think this fight is on paper. And of course, it has to deliver. But I, I tweeted about it last night. It's not exactly, the, I mean, in many ways, they're very different fights. But it's a similar kind of fight, a similar type of fight to GSP Trigg and Jones Vera. Someone else told me it was Jones Bader. It's a little like Jones Bader, but the difference is that Jones Bader were both um, on a hot streak when they fought, which is not the case between Maverick and Barber. But at the same time, GSP Trigg had title implications in a way this one does not. But why do I say this? Because you had Macy Barber who came out of the Contender Series shot out of a cannon. She looked to be in uh, just you know a future title contender at a bare minimum, and she has stumbled along the way, and she's had injuries along the way, and she's had some setbacks along the way, and and so you've had to kind of recalibrate what you thought about her. But she's still obviously a very good, and b really young. Again, you got to be fair to these young fighters; they do get better very quickly, but you got to let them make some mistakes along the way. And then you have Miranda Maverick, who is somebody who I've had you know uh, uh, from a scouting perspective my eye on because. She has, she comes from a sort of a smaller team out of Norfolk, Virginia, but when you watch her on tape, her movement is excellent. This is what I'm talking about when I mean the modern game just being so much better. She has great understanding of her own, um, uh, what what combinations work for her. She gets her distance pretty quickly. She makes great in-fight reads. She's well-rounded. She's competitively tested. It's got that feeling where you have these two top prospects and you can't quite tell which one's coming or going. You think you know, but there's only one real way to find out, and that's to put them in there together. You don't see a lot of these fights, um, frankly, not even boxing, in MMA either. They don't come around that often. The UFC tends to not try to make these fights if they can at all avoid it, but these two are on a collision course. I love this fight. Outside of the main event, BC, this is the one I have my eye on the most. It is historically significant for this uh, division, and to get a fight of this caliber with, with fighters this young on the women's side of things tells you that side of the game has made light years improvement in how good they, uh, how good the oh, offerings dude, can be. This is a 24-year-old against a 23-year-old, both who have been tabbed either now or in the past for Macy as like a future you know, potential star. So, Luke, uh, odds making again. Let me give you the William Hill line. It's it's so close. Plus one fifteen, Macy Barber. Minus one thirty five, Miranda Maverick. Because of their age and the fact that both have such bright potential. To echo your earlier point, it does have that feel of like remember when John Jones and Ryan Bader were both unbeaten and fought. 
or maybe Jones had the DQ loss by that point. But you get the point. It was like, oh, crap, two sort of bright guys that may have next in this division are going to fight this early. But the storyline is different here with Barber coming off of two defeats. So I want to ask you, like, is this smart matchmaking for her? Because after that humbling loss to Roxy Matafuri, which was an upset loss, we thought Macy was going to go right from that to a title shot and try to become the youngest champion. We know she got hurt in that. We know it exposed some parts in her game. But, look, she came right back against Alexa Grasso with really difficult matchmaking and lost that. If you're managing her, if you're, you know, still on the idea that this 23-year-old could maximize into something great, and, again, let's not overvalue losses early in MMA, not even in boxing either, but especially in MMA where it's just part of the game, dude. you got to learn. Would you go back? Would you Would you have matched her against Miranda Maverick coming off a two-fight losing streak right now? I mean, they are doubling down on, nope, we figured it out. She's the goods. I would say probably not, but I would also caution. I see this. Listen, Macy Barber came out and made a lot of claims about what she was going to do, and she was going to be, I think, even younger than John Jones when she became champion. And she told everyone she had this, like, I don't know, it was a, a not an alarm or some kind of setting in her phone to remind her and all this kind of stuff. And up through the Jillian Robertson fight where she, like, you know, snuffed her out inside of a round, you know, I think she was 8-0 at the time. You were like, wow, man, this is – she's on a collision course. Jesus Christ. But then, of course, she had the setbacks against Motiferi and then the injury and then Alexa Grasso just completely no-sold her. And you're like, wow, that may, you know, to your point, maybe this is not the right fight. Here's the thing, though. It's like you don't want to play MMA math styles, make fights. And, you know, for example, in the case of Miranda Maverick, she lost to Deanna Bennett in February of 2019. Then by September, she came back and rematched her and only won the Invicta FC Phoenix Series 2 uh, tournament. She then submitted and finished off Deanna Bennett. So, like, you know, understand that these guys and uh, these ladies get better pretty quickly. But here's my point. You know, Missy Barber ran through Jillian uh, Robertson, and uh, Miranda Maverick had, you know, a really tough time with her. And that was in her last fight. So this idea that, like, do I am I high on Miranda Maverick? Yeah, I'm extremely high on Miranda Maverick. I do think that in the future she'll be in very significant bouts uh, for the USC's flyweight division. I don't know if she's there yet. And Macy Barber, we all know the questions, but again, those eight wins, they weren't flukes, folks. She went through and just was hammering people along the way. I don't think that that all of a sudden has gone away either. So that's why this fight is absolutely critical for this division. And I love that the UFC is taking a risk on these two at 23 and 24, to your point, and putting them in there. It is a phenomenal fight. My only regret is that it's only three as opposed to five rounds because it should be five. Uh, Luke, are you feeling what I'm feeling that this prelim main event on the plus Puna Soriano against Brendan Allen could be a banger? I'm into this. Oh, Brendan Brendan Allen, another one of these dudes who's just an absolute hammer. I think he was out of the I think he was out of like Milwaukee or something, but now he's at Sanford. And then Punahele Soriano, you know, well, I think that's the guy they call coconut bombs, right? I mean, this dude just comes to throw. Oh, he brings it. Yeah, yeah, he, throws he, he bangs. But dude, all the way down, Randy Costa versus Adrian. Uh, Yanez, uh, Julio Arce, shouts to Colombia, taking on Andre Yule. Um, Sajar Eubanks is on the card. And even Ian Heinish against Nasuruddin uh, Imovov. Dude, that's a good fight, too. People don't know who Imovov is, and I pronounce his name poorly, but um, seen the tape on him, he's fucking good. All, they're all up and down this fights, this card. There's great fights. Hey, Hannah Goldie's back in the opener, Luke. All right? I know you follow her. All right? You're a gross person who denies what you do. Um, all right, anything else on this card stand out to you besides what we've already gone over? Kyler Phillips taking on uh, Howley and Pipe is another good one. Apparently, I can't say anything on this show that isn't received sexually, Luke. Okay, I'm a professional MMA analyst. All right, bro? 
Yeah, I know. But every time you're like, hey, let's talk about titties. Anyway, this next fight features two women's straw weights. And I'm like, well, maybe don't do that at first. Um, but you get the idea. Tons and tons of fights on this card. Also, Mickey Gall in the opener. And like, it feels like BC, we don't talk about Mickey Gall hardly at all anymore. Six yeah. and three, he's up and down. He loses to Randy Brown. He beats George Sullivan. He loses to Sanchez. He beats Tuari. He loses to Mike Perry and lost like pretty handily. And now he's going up against, I would actually say, a pretty good fighter in Jordan Williams. This is, what are the odds on this one? So our friends at William Hill, they've got Mickey Gall as the underdog at plus 155. Jordan Williams at minus 190. Frankly, I don't even disagree with that, BC. Mickey Gall has his back up against the wall here, for sure. Remember, remember when we used to think Mickey Gall was like a potential player? I know he had gotten sort of the, the setup matchmaking fighting both Mike Jackson and CM Punk, but... You know, he had shown some bright things and in a cocky, almost Colby Covington-like confidence in himself without the extra shtick on that, although he is pretty corny in his own right in his uh, commentary. But, uh, yeah, this is this is a referendum fight, Luke, so let's see what the kid has here, all right? I mean... I think, you know, dude, how many of the fighters who came off of Dana White looking for a fight have had lasting, lasting success? Mickey Gall's still here. He could win this one, so let's not write him off, but, like... Who else was it? Sage Northcutt bounced. Yeah. Who else came from that? Um, I, I I would have to rack my brain, Luke, and uh, I can't produce. I can't produce. I think that was one there another dude, significant name. There was like a heavyweight who had found out. Oh, I had like Randy a Brown, pass. according to Manich, Randy Brown. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, all right. all right, well, we'll see. Oh, that was Gaff. Sorry, let me get let me put let me put some respect on on Gaffney Pierre's name. That was Gaff on that one. All right, fair enough. All right, BC, we get to the boxing side of things. A report has come out from Mike Coppinger of ESPN. Nothing is official, but they are, quote, closing in on a deal between dot, 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 Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant. Why is this significant? Well, over the weekend at 154, we tried to get a unification for that weight class where Charlo had three belts, Castaño had one, there was the draw, but the idea is the winner would have had all four belts. If Canelo wins and defeats Caleb Plant, or vice versa, the winner of this bout will have collected four different bouts. It'll be a pay-per-view, PBC on Fox, September 18th, BC. What do you make of this news? How to interpret uh, it? I'm, I'm so happy because there was some talk that the negotiations were kind of falling apart and Canelo was... I don't know if they put that out there publicly to try to sway the negotiations, but Canelo was suddenly looking forward, looking at possibly going back up to 175 and going after Bivol or or the other champion, uh, our boy, uh, a Better there Beef. But look, when you have a chance to make an undisputed championship fight in this era, I mean, go break glass and go for it. Here's why this is awesome, Luke, because Canelo has... In, in leaving Golden Boy and his own, even though he's been fighting their last few fights, and basically becoming a promotional and, and network free agent as the pound-for-pound pound king and biggest pay-per-view star in the game, um, the, we've seen fighters in the past use that power, right, to, to match themselves easy and to control all aspects. The fact that Canelo's going out of his way. Now, look, he'll be a favorite against Plant. We all know that. And Plant's coming off a performance against uh, Caleb Truex that, that was not scintillating. So you're... You're going to expect Canelo to win this, but the fact that he's going out of his way to make it to leave no doubt at 168 and leave as the undisputed champion and is willing to go to the opponent's, 
you know, promoter, manager, and network, which is PBC, Al Heyman, and Fox in this case. This isn't a DAZN co-promotion here. Um, Canelo has retained the services of Eddie Hearn as his promoter, but, you know, right now, Eddie gets it. Devin Haney, a guy who's fought at, on DAZN of late, but now as a network free agent, also retained Eddie Hearn, who's willing to match Devin on other networks. This is a good sign. Eddie Hearn is a promoter right now that gets how to manage stars. And the fact that Canelo's willing to use his power for good here, this is great for boxing. Um, I do like the style matchup, even though, yes, Caleb Plant did, uh, did not look great in the last one. I mean, he won handily, but he did not look spectacular. He is a pure boxer, Caleb Plant. Sweet hands, unbeaten, great hand speed, very tough, not incredible power, but I'm going to be interested to see this style matchup against Canelo and just interested in Luke. If When you have somebody in Canelo's spot... He has made it his business now to, to achieve things, to figure out, you know, at this turning point in his career where he's still in his physical prime, he's number one in every category, commercially and critically, he wants to round out his legacy, and you got to respect that. And the fact that he's openly saying after this, I'm going up to 175, I'm taking on those guys as well to try to do the same. I mean, how else could you be anything but excited, Luke? Are there better opponents for him than Caleb? Yeah, for sure, but... There's, this is a means to an end, and this is not one of those mandatory walkovers. This ain't, uh, what's that dude's name uh, that he fought earlier this year? The oh, the, Yildirim? This ain't Avni Yildirim, okay? This is this is an unbeaten champion. Let's put some respect on Caleb Plant's name. So I am just happy that all parties uh, look close to having gotten this finalized. Let's do it, Luke. Yeah, like, could I tell you that, like, the most exciting fight I could imagine in my mind for Canelo Alvarez would be against Caleb Plant? Uh, no, I would not say that. Now, again, to your point, it would hardly be some terrible fight. In fact, I think it would be a very good fight. But um, the real selling point is what you described, which is that Canelo can call his own shots quite literally at this point. He can do almost whatever he wants, and he is choosing to take, uh, in the sense of trying to unify the weight class, a difficult path, and then he has a sight set on 175. His trainers have been unequivocal about that, about going up and taking on Bivol and then Baterbiev which is like hard to even fathom for a guy who fought Mayweather at like what? I think he had a, he couldn't be any more than 150 or something, 152. something like that. Yeah, 152. Yeah, 152. You know, and he was drained for that, I understand, but the point being is just to see his maturation as a skill uh, skill set and, and 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 size to some degree has been phenomenal to to just watch. Like you want to see these guys go out there and do the things that champions are supposed to do and he is following that path directly he does deserve to be on pay-per-view he does deserve to call his own shots about where and when he wants to compete and for folks who may not know this is close to mexican independence day it will be in las vegas he is obviously going to have the hometown crowd so to speak um in his favor i would imagine the canelo fans and the mexican-american boxing fans are going to follow him uh pretty closely to that to that contest it's just great it's great that we have the leading figure in boxing leading by example, not taking the road less traveled uh, in the easy sense, taking the road less traveled in the much harder sense, finding ways to make his life difficult for our entertainment, but but for his glory as well. And if he goes out there and he earns it, man, what, what would you say about this guy? Already I mean, look, a big deal. I do spend a lot of time on this show lathering him in praise but because I think it's deserving. Luke, how important is it right now that Canelo – is staying active on his own schedule. When he was with Golden Boy, he still had to stay on Oscar De La Hoya's schedule in terms of scheduling big fights and trying to make it a big event. Now Canelo can call his own shots. He's realizing that in his absolute prime, staying busy is keeping him sharper. Is he fighting guys he's favored against? 
Well, yeah, he's the pound-for-pound pound king. He's going to be favored against almost anybody unless he takes on a challenge, you know, way outside of his weight, which he's kind of already teasing he wants to do. But he's going to have fought, or his aim, Luke, is to fight four times this calendar year. And when you mix in that he fought in December of last year, I mean, he could fight five times in a 13-month calendar, or, or 13th-month stretch. Remember when Conor McGregor at featherweight fought that many times in a short window and was absolutely, you know, great from fight to fight? There's something to that. I think the fact that these guys today just only fight twice a year, sometimes not even that. I mean, it's just not enough, Luke. So all things considered, it's not that Canelo's historically is without any sin. There was clumbuterol. He waited out Triple G a couple of years, and he didn't believe that he could move up to, to middleweight and fight a, a prime Triple G, and he stayed at 155, his preferred weight. But, Luke, when, when you consider that was four or five years ago when we were sort of questioning could Canelo move up to 160 and be the same, good God, he's cleaned out 160, not 168. And he's threatening to go back up to 175. I, I can't stress this enough. After the Mayweather loss in the way Canelo bounced back, I knew he was going to be a special fighter because he'll be a, he would have been a multi-division champion and he's a stud star leading man in the sport. I never would have guessed if you had told me back then that he would be this good, this high in weight and having gotten to this level, Luke. I mean, it's, it is it is rather remarkable. This is the Canelo era. era. I w normally, I'd say for better or worse, but I'm really only saying for better in this case, Luke. I remember the first time I saw him compete. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, did he not fight Miguel Cotto's brother on the undercard of Mayweather Mosley? Does that sound right yes. to you? It was the co-main of, yeah, or was it was a high up there on that, yeah. And Cotto's brother early took it to him a little bit, and Canelo had to kind of stick it back on him, and he did, man. He absolutely did. Dude, Canelo finds ways to, you know, again, Mayweather fight notwithstanding, to rise to the occasion. And yeah, to your point, he's had a couple of bouts where you're like, the scoring just went in his favor, and you're like, you could justify it, but it seemed a little bit unfair. But okay, man, he didn't rest on it. Let's put it that way. He didn't coast on that. He didn't use that as like, oh, okay, I've achieved enough. I don't need to take any more risks. He doubled down on it, and I think at this point, that's what you like to see. My question to UBC is, it's going to be on Fox PBC pay-per-view. How much are they going to charge for this? They're not going to charge. They're not going to charge like 80 bucks for this, are they? Without having any knowledge, I would have guessed seventy four ninety five. That's what Fuck. I would have guessed. Because you can put the undisputed label on it. It is Canelo. And going to Fox, let's not forget, you know, um, you, sometimes you hear rumors of the PBC on Fox's eventual demise and, and whatever. You still get to promote that on, like, uh, you know, the start of the football NFL season and stuff. I mean, you know, that's a big... That's yeah. a big deal. I think that's why Canelo was willing, you know, so willing and wanted to do that. That's a big deal in terms of creating a casual crossover fan base. So I would guess they would go to that level, but we'll see, Luke. We will have to see indeed. All right, we go from the most interesting side of boxing to the least interesting side, BC. Or is it? Is, Logan, is, it, Paul, is Logan Paul going to box Anderson Silva? Uh, leaked <laughs> messages suggest maybe that we do. Uh, according to Bloody Elbow... Logan Paul's next boxing match could be against Anderson Silva. Um, Bellator prospect Dylan Danish revealed in leaked Instagram messages on Tuesday. BC, did you see this? Quote, there will yeah. be a huge event in Dubai, September 19th. Main event is Anderson Silva-Logan Paul boxing match. Would you like to fight a grappling match, ADCC rules and referees on that actual card? So that was in Dylan Danis's thing. What do you think, BC? I mean, if it's true, it's obviously a dick move by Danis. But, you know, I wonder if there's, if the, if there's some smoke here and if there's a... Uh some fire behind it, Luke, that kind of would be the next fight to make for both in a lot of ways. So would I be excited about it? 
if you can convince me that both will fight to win, and that's again the, the thing that will separate whether this this celebrity bubble bursts quickly or not. And and, and the one thing that the reason why I'm retaining excitement and expectation for Tyron Woodley against Jake Paul. I think they're both going to go out there, try to win, and we'll throw hands until somebody gets knocked out. I believe that, Luke. Floyd Logan? <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen that way. Um, I tended to, to guess that we wouldn't see Logan again or that maybe I wouldn't be as excited. And look at that dapper, Luke. Dapper fella there between those two superstars. Look at that guy right there. Did look you that. shit your pants on this one? Luke, that guy Fs. All right. Usually, no, you know, no, no, he exclusively, no. exclusively, exclusively with one person. But that guy just has the spirit, the BDE, Luke. The B, I mean, that's just that's incredible. Uh, yes, um, you got the ED. I see that. Go ahead. Uh, Luke, I didn't think I'd be excited about a Logan Paul fight again. Would you have now? Look, this matchup would attract people if there's Abu Dhabi involved or, or wherever. I mean, there's probably a lot of money. So it, it, that would lead you to believe there's a great chance this could happen. I don't know what network. I don't know what situation. Would you have confidence coming into this that this could be a fun fight, or would it be safe boxing on the outside? Uh, I think it depends on Andy, right? I think it depends on Andy. I think that you know we saw in the Julio Cesar Chavez fight that Andy gave us a spirited performance. I think is a good way to put it, and uh, Chavez did not, and he paid for it as a consequence. I, I think I'll say this, dude. I, you know, when you, for me, you know, you can like or dislike the Paul brothers. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't know what can, you know. What, aside from boxing, I don't really know what they do. You know, so I'm not a fan in that sense. But J I've said this before, dude. Jake to me is just Jake deserves a little bit more, maybe a lot more respect because he's actually taken a lot more risk. You know, a guy like Anderson at this point, he's like, oh, I've got nothing left to prove. He said it a million times, and I'm out here to have fun and blah 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 blah. I really believe he would go in there and not treat Paul like Chris Lieben like when, when Anderson Silver fought him, but like do the kind of same thing Mayweather did, like kind of massage it to give the audience a bit of a show. I'm, I'm out on shit like that. That doesn't I don't want me that show. Like, Get that show away from me. You, get, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Dude, like, like, are, we, are we really going to pay for another show where Logan does admirable but just you know gets his ass beat again? Like, what, I don't, I don't, to me, it just, I don't understand what the point of that is. I guess there's an audience for it. It's fine. I'm old. No one cares what I think. But that, to me, is not all that interesting. What's interesting to me is Jake Paul taking on Tyron Woodley. And yes, Tyron Woodley's had his issues. But he's a real fighter, still training, devastating puncher, still very much so. That's that's a pro bout where you know you can take the fucking guy's head off. That is, to me, a very much, a, a totally different kind of fight. I'll give that the respect it deserves. I'm not going to hate on Silva and Logan making big money. If that's what they're going to get, God bless them. But it ain't for me. It would be interesting. We don't have any inside info on this. If it w if it would go back to Triller, would it go to Showtime? Because they're in the you know Jake Paul and Logan Paul business lately. It'd be interesting to see. But if you could guarantee me that Andy would go for the win, right? He'd probably solicit a few MMA journalists' wives ahead of time in an indecent proposal email. But after that, Luke, if he was willing to go into that fight and go for the knockout again, this is where this genre could be booming. If if people are willing to sell their soul in these, well, they're already selling their soul for the payday, but if they're willing to actually put the soul out there and, and, and take a chance that it gets uh, that it gets spectacularly finished, um, this could be a fun fight because Logan's a big boy. It's the one thing we can say about him. He's a big boy, and he can handle himself from the standpoint of, I don't think he'd be easily knocked out. I think Floyd thought he would easily sort of slap this kid around, and he didn't, and it became a really boring fight. What if Andy went after him, Luke? I don't know. I don't know if I have that confidence that it would, but we'll see, Luke. Maybe Showtime will pick it up, and then we'll have to have that confidence that it would. Luke. Yes, in which case I'll have to change my tune and, you know, collect the check to do it. Uh, in all seriousness, again, 
listen, if Anderson Silva's going to get, let's just imagine something, $10 million for a payday by, you know, who God knows who over in the Middle East because they want to pay him for it, it's like, you know, he was so underpaid throughout the totality of his career. I'm sure he made good money, but relative to what he should have been making, I'm sure he left a lot on the table. And the end of his career in the UFC was not a great one. You know, God bless him. I'm not going to hate on that. That's okay. But, like, you're asking me, or the, the the audience generally, is this something you're interested in? I'm not interested in, in either a case where Anderson has to kind of massage it to give us entertainment, or it's just bad boxing. Like, I don't understand what the point is. Woodley versus Paul may or may not be bad boxing. We'll have to see. But the stakes are so real and so different that I'm willing to let's take a very wait-and-see approach on that. Um but they're, they're just not the same to me. They're not the same. Look, if you had received the same e- email from Anderson's people that I did, along with the the, the medium-sized dress shirts that they sent and the, and the hair gel in the mail for doing a, a fun interview with him, and, you know, he asked you straight up like he asked me, you know, hey, come to my gym, wear my fight gear, roll around with me, and bring your significant other. Given that, you know, they're, they're the two most important so- uh, South Americans in your life, you know, or, or at least two of the three are your wife and Anderson Silva, would you have... Uh, in good faith, consider that? What people don't know about BC is that he mistakenly believes that people are trying to fuck him or people around him when they're never at all trying to do that. He'll go up to like a water fountain at a, at a grocery, not a grocery store, like a CVS or 7-Eleven, and he'll get his big gulp and someone will just stand next to him waiting for their big gulp. And he'll come out of the store and be like, that person next to the B in the big gulp machine, they were trying to fuck me there. And I saw it and I lived it. I'm like, they were just trying to get soda. But BC thinks everyone's trying to fuck him, and I don't quite Look, understand why. The thing why. about BDE, which only you know the the uh, the the genius possess and the insane lament, you know, Giannis and I after last night, he certainly understands what it's like to carry that BDE. Um, you know, it, it it is a magnet, Luke, for all things good and bad. So uh, you know, it comes with the territory. All right. All right. Well, just so you know, no one's trying to fuck you. Uh, okay. With that out of the way, BC. We are almost done here with the rundown. We'll get to some of the fun parts of the show. But last and certainly not least, what do you want to say about this, BC? McGregor More Madness McGregor. continues. Yes. You, yes. I, I, I was okay with not having this on the show. BC wanted to keep it, so I said, okay, you know, let's do that. So you got more McGregor. What do you want hey, to call this? Hey, let's milk that utter, Luke. Can we, this is utterly ridiculous. Can we milk all what's left out of this, please? All right. So Dana White spoke to, I guess, Fox News because Lord knows – he definitely doesn't go on political outlets and do political things. But in this particular case, he was talking about Conor McGregor's ankles and his chronic injuries. Now, here's what Dana White had to say, quote, about McGregor. He's had ankle issues for the last couple of years, and he had asked if he could tape his ankles coming into this fight, and he got clearance to do it from the Nevada Commission, White told Fox News. And then he opted not to tape them. I don't know why, but yeah, he has chronic arthritis in his ankles. However, BC... Dr. David Abbasi, who was a ringside physician, told Fansighted, now this is, not, this is not a gentleman who evaluated McGregor. I think he's working with very incomplete information. But here's what he said, and I want to get your response. Quote from the doctor. With a supposed kick to the elbow, you look closely, and again, you don't have to be an expert to have a great view. That was a glancing blow, and it didn't really hit the elbow. It's more of the inside of the arm, and it wasn't obvious in energy or force. You can see there wasn't enough of an abrupt stoppage. It's just so obvious. If you look at those two scenarios, the other being the checked leg kick on video, that's not what happened. He does seem to roll his ankle because the fracture occurs and he loses his balance. And of course, 
Basic physics takes over and he rolls it laterally and probably to jump to the next question you might be asking me, so what was it? It's hard to tell, but it could have been cumulative. These are fighters and there's a lot of contact with the tibia to multiple body parts that could have led to the weakening. So let me just ask you this, BC. Again, I'm sort of over this story. You know, Anthony Smith came out yesterday and said everyone in the Glover fight, he had a broken hand, never revealed it. He had a fucked up leg, but he still beat Jimmy Crute in that fight anyway. So, you know, it, it, it takes and it goes. In this case, I don't even understand what chronic arthritis has to do with a broken tibia, except if you want to say chronic inflammation reduces bone integrity over time, but no one's even made that claim. I guess I'm just trying to point out, I don't understand why we're having this conversation. No, the loss is not as firm as the second one, but it's not as dismissible as McGregor wants to make it either. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the story's lingering because it's McGregor, obviously, and because he's been more willing than ever before to, to, to lean heavily into these excuses. It seems like he's a pinata now and everyone in the game has taken their turn whacking at it and saying, you know, he wasn't injured or whatever. I think, Luke, the problem is all of this excuse-heavy stuff, even if you believe morsels of it but not the whole thing, it's making Conor look pretty weak. It, it, that, that is the thing. It's kind of making him look like an old biatch, to be honest with you, right? Maybe, again, that's what he needs to do to psych himself back into the belief because every great fighter needs to be a, a con man to their to their, their own miss, you know, their own uh, be, better decisions in a lot of ways to talk themselves into it. So if that's the case, I'm willing to forgive it. But... Um, it's interesting how many people with some sort of knowledge are coming out, whether they're fighters or physicians or whatever. Um, it just kind of also makes him look potentially, Luke, given Dana's comments here, not smart. Like, if there was a significant injury, then again, you came out leading with kicks, which could expand it. And if there wasn't, now we're talking about you practicing without pads and, you know, not necessarily dealing well with your chronic arthritis. I mean, it's all a bunch of bullshit in the end. There was a new theory somewhat pointed out there. I mentioned earlier I'd watched the TJ Dillashaw-Brendan Schaub food truck diaries, Luke. I'm not sure if you saw that. But TJ's take on it was that it was weight cut related, which stripped Connor of the minerals in his body. I know we're really going deep here. Which stripped Connor potentially of the minerals in his body, which had led to some potential fragility in the bones, which would have made a break or a stress fracture in camp a lot easier to have happen, Luke. Do you give any credence or clear water or even a revival to this, or are you just ready to keep going? I'm done on this one, man. Again, it's not that again, it's not that I don't believe that it played a role in the fight on some level or another. That, you know, these fighters go in there with terrible injuries. They have to find a way to navigate it. And sometimes they find a way through, and a lot of times they don't. And that's not fair, but it's not fair in ways fucking across the board. Like the I, people have asked me, like, "Oh, Connor's just explaining what happened." That's I don't really buy that. To me, it seems a little bit naive to say that like he's bringing this up just as a means of explaining what happened. No, the obvious implication is that there is uh, that they're asking you to view these in light uh, in such a way that you can d dismiss the veracity or the value anyway of. Um, Poirier's win. That's what they want you to do. They want you to be like, oh, no, 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 this doesn't count. Sorry, it does. Maybe not quite to the full extent, but there's, there's, a, certain, uh, there's a certain expectation that these details should tell us like, oh, well, we can't really trust what we saw with any of that. And then, by the way, his coach, you know, John Cavanaugh was coming out and saying, oh, well, everything was looking great for the second round. I, 
how? Mike Brown came out and was asked about those comments. He was like, I don't know how any person could look at that and say it was going well. There's just all these comments out there that they want people to dismiss all the negative things around them and just focus on what they think matters. And again, it does matter. Among many other details for many other fighters many times, it's not special in any kind of way. Look, you ever been on the business That's end it. of a devastating breakup? You ever been the Oh, the, I the think nail? I lost hearing in this. Hold on. You got Go me. Ahead. Luke, you ever been the nail and a devastating breakup? You ever been absolutely hammered out? I'm good. I hear you now. Sorry about that. My earpiece died. A female ever just throw you down a flight of stairs at the end of a relationship and you're just completely blindsided, Luke? Has a person ever thrown me down a flight of stairs and then blindsided me? What are you talking about? I'm talking relationally. Heartbreak, Luke. You, you've been on the business end of one of these. We don't have to oh, yeah. drag oh, yeah, this dude. out anymore. I've, I've, had, I've, had some, I've had some breakups that broke me down. During the, the recovery, ground. Luke, which is always sad, hopeless, and pathetic in, in hindsight, you know, you finally get through the storm, and then you're like, oh, shit, I wish I could redo the last three months. I wish I didn't call or text that person as much i wish i didn't say these things publicly i wish i did i wish i had basically gone into hiding like back into a training camp and re-emerged a year later as a completely reformed animal who's past this and doesn't have to ever speak of it again and basically you know like that but look we can't do you we kind of want that for the fighters badly though we want them badly to just sort of like okay connor suffered the l not let's not hear from him until the next fight but it's just not realistic, especially with somebody of this star level, Luke. Would I have liked Connor to just put a pit, you know, let's end this now, come out and be like, yep, I lost. I also got hurt, but I lost. No, I'm not here to be a bitch. I'm coming after you again. You know, like, I kind of want that now. Just, I, I kind of need Connor to respond now to put an end to all this, Luke. Yeah, listen, he's got a lot of things going on. He has that new uh, pub that he opened that looks fucking phenomenal. And, you know, he's got his his Lamborghini yacht or something. Like, dude, he's killing it. Like, enjoy those things. He earned it. But, uh, I'm done with this, like, oh, I had a medical condition coming into a fight. Yeah, dude, join the club. Wow. Yeah. That is not in any way any kind of an exonerating kind of claim. All right. BC, before we get to Wheel of Death, I want to remind everyone that you and I, somehow, I don't know how, are finalists for the sports category of the People's Choice Podcast Award. We appreciate, of course, all you guys do for us. We hope you enjoy the show enough to nominate us to advance to the final round. To nominate Morning Combat, go to podcastawards.com slash app slash sign up. Could the, could, the, could the link be worse? And then toggle down to, of course, sports category. We've included the link at the top of the episode description as well. So if you go into the description box below, there should be a link there. Hey, MK fans, do us a solid. Even if you don't think that, that award means anything or whatever, you're just jaundiced and you don't care about anyone else except MK at this point in your life. We understand that. But it would be our bosses. Bitch. BC, true or false, our bosses would look at advancing in this uh, award thing very yeah. favorably. Like I, I said that last week, like, like, to be honest with you, Luke and I are not into like, which, you know, two-time award, like I couldn't give a shit. But to be honest with you, though, along with getting to like the 100K subscriber threshold, this shit does matter to, to the people that, that pay us and pull the strings that want to do big things for us. It's a, it's, a, it's a justification. It's a means to an end in a lot of ways. So if you care, if you love us like we love you, do us a solid, all right? Make that walk of shame over to podcastawards.com and you don't have to put your credit card info, all right? You know, come on, just do it. All right, so there you have it. Uh, BC, the show is yours. 
Yes, every Wednesday, here's what we do. Sometimes Luke can be a difficult person to talk to. He doesn't want to include McGregor in the rundown, although I forced it in this time. Uh, so I have to create a segment in which I ask him uncomfortable questions. So what these are is 10 categories. Luke will spin the wheel five times. Good faith responses to average faith intention questions. It's called the Wheel of Death. Bump, bada, bump, bump. 10 categories, Luke. Your categories this week are Tattoo on Titi, Huge Hogs, MMA Media Edition, Chewbacca's Libido, Consensual <laughs> Mind Fucks, Heard It Both Ways, You Ain't Lying, You Know Who the Fook I Am, Ignoring Your Indian Roots, and finally, Death of Palooza, Luke. You get mm. what you get. All right, let's spin this bitch. And, uh, oh, I think Armenian World Order. Did I mention that one, too? Yeah, there's a, there's ten of them, Luke. Whatever you get. All right. All right, let's see. Oh, it's the first one. Oh, hey, hey, head movement. Let's get plenty of head movement here, Luke. Coach, this is sent in by Coach uh, Edmund. Luke, let's face it. Despite my love for doing interviews for MK, it hasn't necessarily translated into huge clicks or downloads. Yes, you and I did a combined 490,000 on YouTube and views talking to Floyd Mayweather and Versace robes, but that was a unique situation. Your solo MK interviews, on the other hand, Luke, have largely done well, even though you openly don't enjoy them. Your sit-down with Dustin Poirier ahead of the second Connor fight is still one of our most viewed MK clips at 296,000 and counting. So imagine an oddball scenario in which our management bosses at CBS Sports and Showtime say, BC, look, bro, we love your interview style. It's engaging, it's hypnotic, it's intoxicating. But no one else cares at all, okay? This 5K shit you're pulling in with these boxers, no one gives a damn. The views just aren't there. So moving forward... You are actually, in an ironic twist, going to acquire Luke's producer credit, and your job moving forward on interviews is to transform Luke into the best and most, most dynamic interviewer in the MMA space today because the views will be there and the public wants it. So, Luke, after dealing with my own ego and swearing you out privately for weeks, let's say I decided to take the Pepsi challenge. I concoct on my own a new spin-off interview series called MK Luke Thomas is coming. It might sound a lot like Luke Thomas is pissed, but you know, th th there's a fluid exchange just the same. The, the premise though, Luke, all guests must agree to a one-on-one -on -one zoom for at least 30 minutes and no questions are off limits. The express goal from upper management to BC as your producer is to try to book the most controversial and must-see interviews to regularly try to break that 296 Poirier threshold. Why? Because a major soft drink sponsor has offered us a deal, Luke, if we can get three straight interviews above 300K, all right? So what I'm going to do now is give you five potential interviews to kick off the series, and your job is to tell me, based on the questioning, what the final YouTube click number will be. And if we, if we can get three in a row to get that sponsorship. Here we go, Luke. Interview number one, UFC President Dana White on the subjects of fighter pay, interim titles, and cliff diving. I'm not sure what you're asking me. To predict the, the, the YouTube downloads based oh. on that 296,000 threshold we established with Poirier and the 490 with Mayweather. Half a million. Wow, 500,000. Okay. Interview number two. 
Luke chats with UFC heavyweight John Jones, reliving the infamous UFC 214 <laughs> press conference and talking distinctly about pulsing, USADA's handling of his infractions, and much more. 150K. Really? You don't think yeah. that could do a million or, or, or something stupid, Luke? No? I don't. I'm not of the belief that there's a strong demand for like John and I to make up and like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, I think you're right. Like, if there were a chance for him, he and I to talk again and we were able to bury the hatchet or whatever, I do think it would do well. Don't get me wrong. But um, I'm not convinced that that would be like the thing about Dana is Dana's like currently extremely popular. Obviously, he's still active as the UFC president. And you're talking about like really controversial issues you know is the john versus me thing like That's top fair. of mind for fans i don't think i, I don't imagine that it is it's a niche thing your rivalry with him through press conferences but yeah if you got dana on there pushing him about these topics you're right you're doing a half a million at least i like where this is going interview idea number three former mandalorian actress gina carano comes on oh. to talk right-wing <laughs> politics freedom of speech and instagram removing her famous topless photo luke yeah, um, she did an interview for the Federalist that I think did really poorly. Um, I'm not convinced. I think she could. She was on her way to being really popular with the show because if you looked at some of her other stuff, she was like, "Oh, she was in a Steven Soderbergh movie or whatever." But you know, she, and she was in like uh, Deadpool. You've never seen Deadpool. She was in Deadpool as well. She was in one of the Fast and Furiouses too, I think, right? Yeah, but like always in some kind of a way that wasn't really memorable. The thing about her character, Cara Dune, was Cara Dune was like a great character. She played it really well. She was really well suited for that role, and she blew it up because she has stupid ass worldviews that she can't keep to herself. Um, I don't think that would do that well either. I really don't. I think What's if we were in the middle of the Mandalorian controversy, it would kill. But we're past it now, and I don't think that would... I think it would be okay, but not that great. All right, we wouldn't win the sponsorship with this. Okay, Luke, number four. Your father, Robert Thomas, agrees to sit down on Zoom to talk <laughs> his parenting style and whether young men need proper validation from their male idols in order to be a success in life. 5k that's one that's one of your hey i'm gonna interview schlebity schlab schlab from the upcoming boxing card oh thanks bc that really put us over know, the 100k say, hump this could be maybe i could come on as the moderator this could be a psychological experiment i'll martin bashir your your family luke and and lead you know <laughs> this could be great okay all right luke so so far only one of the four has broken that threshold we're talking about here's the final chance number five luke we bring on the most prominent Canadian MMA journalist in an open chat about <laughs> topics including business ethics and your up-and-down professional relationship with him. I think that would do really well. I think that probably do... it probably clear your threshold, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we can do a million with that shit, Luke, okay? I also feel like, how did you not ask about Joe Rogan? If we interviewed Joe Rogan on, or whatever, you, me, or whatever, MK did it in MK's way, this, this imagined version or any other... Dude, that would fucking kill. It would fucking kill. That's a great so. point, Luke. Obviously, this this question and this entire segment is is to, it's only been created to put you in awkward situations, Luke. But uh, you're see. right. Potentially, that would have killed. All right, all right, Luke. Spin number two coming your way. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Spin. All right, let's see. Oh, I thought I was going to get a tattoo on titty. Consensual mind fucks. All right. Luke, UFC middleweight Hodolfo Vieira told MMA Fighting this week that in order to help him get over that submission loss to Anthony Hernandez from February and to return confidently last week, which he did against Dustin Stolfus, his psychologist forced him to watch the Hernandez fight over and over and over again against his will, basically. Hodafo agree initially was against it. Ultimately, though, he credited that with forcing him to accept what happened in order to move past it. Tapping out as a black belt and former ADCC champion, Luke has to have been as embarrassing a public L as you can possibly have. Conversely, Luke, you, your worst public L, we just talked about it. 2017 UFC 214, the John Jones press conference in which he sent you to the sub-basement of Hades, Luke. So my question to you, similarly to Hudolfo, is how many times would you have estimated that you have watched that clip since it happened in 2017? And in hindsight, what, like Hudolfo, what did you ultimately learn from that moment that has helped you professionally moving forward, Luke? Uh, how many times have I watched it since? Probably a handful. Um, we played it on the air a few times on my show. And my producers would sometimes joke with me about it. And play it, you know, like as like a sound drop um, on air. So I've definitely heard it a few times since then. Um, what have I learned? I had a few things, but the biggest one was probably that if you're going to do the work that I'm going to do, which is you're going to give your opinion on things. You can do other things too. You can do interviews. You can do breakdowns. You can do... You know, I think because I was working for, uh, I was there for Sirius XM, but I was still at MMA fighting at the time, obviously. And uh, you said 2014, I think it was 2017, if memory serves. It was serves. Two four, UFC 214 in 2014. Yeah, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I remember the trip very well. And the lesson that I had learned was that I thought naively, but I thought I knew that fighters were really sensitive to criticism. I knew that. I knew that they were because I'd felt it in a number of different ways previously to that. But I'd always thought that if you had, uh, if they had your phone number, and I had a direct line to his management, and that uh, you had done, you know, work with them that was either neutral or in some kind of way that they had gotten some kind of benefit out of, for whatever reason, that there would be much more open lines of communication if they found something you said to be negative or that they didn't like, that they would reach out to you about it. And that's actually not the way it works at all. I- I'm not sure why I thought that, I- but I, it's- it certainly is not the way. That it works. What happens is that they just ha- they hold fucking grudges against you and they don't say shit. In fact, there's a um, you know there was a a guy who was a UFC champion for a while, and I had a long not 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 John Jones, I had a long positive relationship with him for years, literally years. And then I noticed he would stop returning my texts when I tried to get him on one of my shows, and I couldn't figure out what what it was because you know normally when they don't return the first couple of texts, you're like oh well they're just busy, because that happens all the time. Um, but then after the John Jones thing, I was like, you know what, there might be something more to this. So I reached out to an intermediary to be like, Hey man, can you see what's up? And if they want to yell at me and whatever, like, I'm happy to have a conversation, but I'd like to at least know like what the fuck are the, I don't even know what the problem is. 
And uh, the intermediary was like, I got you, fam. Don't worry. And he came back two weeks later. He's like, yeah, I can't even, I can't do it. And I'm like, what is, what did I say that got them so pissed? He didn't know. Funnily enough, same thing with John Jones. People all, even, even last week, even last week in Vegas, folks were like, what did you say that got him so mad? And, and I've, I've asked his management about this probably a half a dozen, if not more times. They don't even fucking know. Like, they'll just hear something you say, and then they will bury it deep inside, and then they'll just vote your ass off the island. And so what I realized was if you're going to do this kind of a job where you're going to give your opinion, you're going to give it candidly, dude, not only are they going to rub you the wrong, you're going to rub people the wrong way, these fighters, they don't think long-term about their media management very well, in my judgment. Um, they don't think very well about how to how to keep relationships that honestly would get them better press over time, but neither here nor there. But from now on, I'm going to, if I've criticized someone between fights, um, might be worth to, <laughs> to double check with them to see where they are before... Um, you know, trying to spark up a conversation with them because I have found uh, not not always. In fact, I thought Dominic Cruz. I'll give Dominic Cruz credit one time. Um, I went up to Dominic at a, at a he was he was calling some fight, and he for folks who don't know this, this is before I guess they were doing fighter meetings. So Dominic would show up to media day with like a notepad, and then would answer like he would go fighter by fighter asking them questions like to get his notes ready to call the fights like a total pro. And I, I had noticed he had stopped answering some of my texts for a while, and then I went up to him, and I was like, hey, are we cool? Like, you know, we talk about it. He actually really appreciated that I did that, and what he explained was that he doesn't answer any of his, or his texts anymore about media. Uh, he has a, a manager. He gave me his manager's number, and then it was fine. It was completely fine. It all worked out no problem, but it was worth going through that exercise to see what's what. Um, that was what I learned. That was a good faith answer, Luke. I'm sure you also learned, like, you, you you can't expect or want to be friends with fighters. There's some that are cool. They they dab you in person. They even shout you out on on Instagram or whatever. But uh, you know, it's not meant for media and fighters to you know they have separate roles in a lot of ways. So no, uh, but I, I I was never trying. But that was the thing though. I, here was there, this is where I got tripped up. You see, because I was never trying to be friends with John Jones. Like I, I didn't have his direct. I, I had his number for a while before he changed it. Back when he was still living with. Folks don't know this. He started with a team in New, Upper New York called Bomb Squad. That was where he, the same place that Tam Dan McCrory came from, if I'm not mistaken. The damn barn cat. Uh, yeah, that's where he started out. And so when he was doing that, we had his number. I had him on. I had him on the show when he was working out with Kyle Dake at Cornell University. I had him on my uh, my 106.7 The Fan here in DC radio show, and he came on then. Like. I was never trying to be friends with him, but I thought if you had a positive relationship with someone on a professional level, that if something went wrong, the other person would take an opportunity to do something about it. Because by the way, other fighters who I've had positive relationships with, aside from Dominic Cruz, there's another one recently, you know about it, BC, I don't want to say which one it was, but remember we were at UFC Media Day and I got a message and I showed it to you. Like they took the time to be like, hey, I really didn't agree with what you said, but I want to talk about it more. I, yeah. I, I will never, ever, ever take that for granted because it, maybe that's the way that it, in some people's minds it should be, but it's not. It, it's very rare. And if you, again, I'm going to give a, a, a warning to folks out there. If you want to do what me and BC does, some folks are going to take it and run with it and they're going to love it. And there's going to be a lot of folks, including powerful ones, that are going to fucking hate it. So And they may come after you. Or and they Mike may Perry come after you. So you to got, kill you, you over the phone. That's right. And you got to be wary. 
John was in a weird stretch during that time. Obviously, uh, the year before I was working at ESPN and he had told through his management that he's no longer talking to Okamoto in any form. So I actually got to interview John in person when he came through Bristol, uh, you know, in a spot that normally would have went for Brett. So, I mean, that's just a Yeah, Brett, Brett told me after that whole thing, Brett called me. And he told me, he was like, dude, it's been years since I've been allowed to talk to John. I was like, what did you do? And he's like, I don't know. This happens way more frequently than you might imagine. Not just to me, BC, but like, you know, uh, MMA media member says X and then fighter Y is like, fuck that guy forever. And it, that's just how it goes. Indeed, Luke. All right. Spin number three coming your way. Come on, big booties. You know Boy. me. I'm always cheering for that. You ain't lying. Luke, following his disputed split draw last Saturday against Brian Castaño in their undisputed championship fight, unified 154 title holder Jermel Charlo put out a statement on Instagram in the last 24 hours uh, regarding a potential rematch. Here's his exact quote. Brian Castaño is one hell of a better fighter than anyone gave him credit for, and he came to fight for his life. If fights are scored as a whole... I landed the harder and better shots, but boxing isn't scored that way. Boxing is scored round by round. I've always said to take a belt from a champion, you need to take that belt. And the judges felt neither of us did enough to take those other belts, and they ruled it a draw. I don't want to w- become the undisputed champ by a narrow, controversial decision. I want to make a statement. I didn't do my part to get the KO, and as always, I will continue to learn and improve. When we run it back... Just as I adjusted in the second Harrison fight, there will be no doubt about the result. Hashtag Lions only for L, Luke, which I can assume means full life, brother. Okay? So, Luke, um, the only thing I didn't like about that statement, by the way, I like the that he was like, it's a 10-9 must system here. It's a, it's a, you know, that, that's what people always forget, Luke. So many people are like, well, I felt Charlo landed the bigger shots overall. It doesn't matter. It, it's 12 rounds. If you don't knock somebody out, it's who had more rounds that they won. I don't like that he said, I think neither judge, th- you know, judges thought neither of us deserved it, so they scored it a draw. No one scores it a draw at the end, dude. They add up the rounds. I mean, come on, let's get that through our skulls. Anyway, Luke, imagine the two fighters agreed to an immediate rematch this fall and Charlo trainer Derek James during a late-night YouTube rabbit hole, randomly stumbles upon a former series called MK Dissected, Luke, that used to do gangbusters, and he decides to call you and ask your thoughts on how Charlo should strategically adjust his style for the second fight. What Mm. would you tell Coach James? Well, here's the problem with this question. You want me to answer in good faith? In good faith, what I would say is I would need to go through the bout with a fine-tooth comb to look at it more closely. The only thing I could say outright, and I think his trainer even said this, I, be- I believe I, I saw this, because it was I remember seeing it being like, oh, he's absolutely right. There wasn't enough volume from Charlo. There just was not. And I said it on Friday, you cannot match Castaño's volume. Fine, don't try to do that. But you're going to have to do more than like what I'm going to call the Charlo minimum, which is not laziness, but like that comfort zone where they like to be very, very selective. And dude, you know, 99% of the time that works out exactly as intended, but um, sometimes it doesn't. And it didn't in the first Harrison fight. It almost didn't in the second Harrison fight. And it didn't really in this fight either. Um, but beyond that, BC, again, I'm, I'm honestly trying to answer in good faith. I don't, I don't have any superpowers at all or any special wisdom or any special insight. To the extent I understand any bout is because I record it and I slow it down and I watch it 
in painstaking detail. And through that examination, I'm able to get a clearer sense of what happened. I've not done that with this ballot, and so I'd be just making shit up if I said something other than All volume. Right. I'll give you a chance to watch it 49 times, and we'll revisit in the future. I appreciate that. Obviously, throwing more punches would be key. I'd love to see him live and die with that jab, Luke. Yeah. Okay? You know what I mean? I think there's and get, ways and getting to... off the ropes, dude. you got to get off the ropes yeah. with this guy. You really do. Although Castano did show us a lot more than we thought he had. So good stuff there. All right, Luke, two spins to go. Let's close this out with a bang. Come on, titty tattoos. Oh. All right, God Luke, you know it. the fuck I am. Luke, following a 65-second submission loss to Matus Gamrod on Saturday at UFC Fight Night, 35-year-old Jeremy Stevens fell to 0-5 with one no contest in his last six bouts. The Lil Heathen then took to Twitter, Luke, yesterday after the defeat and said, quote, just thinking, the true fight to make is me and Connor. He broke his ankle and, and uh, someone dove for my ankle. We both like to fight and keep it standing. Both have power. Both are different. Plus, I like to calf kick and have a wide range of KOs, end quote. Luke, Connor and Jeremy obviously have had history dating back to that infamous who the fuck is he rant from the press conference ahead of UFC 196 in 2016. And Luke, we all know Connor is in a very unique position once he does return from surgery and recovery that with the exception of Misha Tate in the Reno fight, the UFC almost never does, quote, get well or stay busy comeback fights. In fact, the only real reference we have is Connor himself <laughs> when he was given the soft landing treatment a couple years ago by UFC brass against faded, heavily washed Cowboy Cerrone. So, Luke, although you and I have been openly pondering about who Connor might return against, we had said, hey, Tony Ferguson, Max Holloway, RDA, these are all good fights. If anyone is going to get the preferred matchmaking upon the comeback, it is Connor. We know this. So I'm going to give you four perspective, quote, soft touch opponents for McGregor to return against, let's say in early 2022. And I need you to rank these potential non-title pay-per-view main events in terms of difficulty, one to four, in terms of how outraged the public might be to get them one to four. And finally, in terms of potential pay-per-view buys on that same one to four standard, your four potential Connor comeback fights are Jeremy Stevens, Mike Perry, Clay Guida, and Frankie Edgar at lightweight. Give me the choices again. Jeremy Stevens at lightweight, Mike Perry at welterweight, and Clay Guida and Frankie Edgar at lightweight. Okay, you're going to cross Clay Guida off the list. I don't like that one at all. You can cross off Edgar as well. Well, look, rank them from one to four in difficulty, Luke. Hold on, I'm trying to think of who I like the most. I like the Perry fight the most, quite candidly. Although Perry's kind of, you know, he's got his own difficulties. Um, the build would I'll be go, insane. Uh, Luke, the build would be bad shit. Mayorga versus Fernando Vargas level insane. Yeah, I like I like Perry one, even though the fight is silly, and I do not. I you know you're only asking me among these choices rank them. Okay, I'll go Perry one. I'll go Stevens two. I'll go Edgar. Um, I'll go Edgar two. I'll go Stevens three. I'll go Guido four. All right, what's the most difficult for Connor here? You got to rank these. I think um, you could make a case that like Edgar's the most difficult. I think because he's still relevant. At least I mean it's a one thirty five. I don't know how it'd be at one fifty five, but 
you know, he doesn't take damage the same way, so that's that's tough. But on the plus side, he obviously has a motor for days, and he can wrestle, and he can mix it up, and he's constantly moving. That could be potentially perilous for Connor. I don't think that it would be, but, you know, you're thinking out loud. Perry's not what he once was, but he can hammer. You know, he's got a big punch, um, and, you know, he's, he's fucking durable. So he's that. Re- he can wrestle. He, he he wrestled the shit out of Cody uh, or well, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, he might Mickey he Hall. might he might wrestle Connor a little bit too. There's, there's something to be said for that as well. Um, and Stevens, for all the reasons you mentioned, huge punch, um, decent stand up. You know, he gets hit a lot, but uh, you know when he's dealing, he's dealing. And then Guida, I don't you know Guida has a lot of things, but I just think Connor would land a big shot eventually and and light him on fire. But um, but you know Guida's motor. Uh, relentlessness, sort of that—that that would be you know something to, to watch out for. Would there be public outrage with any or all of these four matchups? Uh, I don't think there'd be outrage with Stevens. I think there'd be outrage at one seventy versus Perry because you'd be like, "What are you taking that fight for?" It makes no sense. Guido, I think there'd be outrage for. Um, the other two, not so much. Edgar, you know, there might be like head scratching, but not exactly like outrage. You know. And and do you think they could all clear one million, Luke, pay per view wise? Do you think that there's one that would bottom out badly? Guido, Guido would could, be a tough. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a tough sell. Edgar could do it. Perry, maybe, maybe. Um, Stevens, probably. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I think those would be fine. All right, we'll see which direction the UFC goes, Luke. One more spin to take us home. Let's go. Dude, it went to titty tattoos every time and then right past it. This is bullshit. Seems like it's a rigged wheel or something, Luke. Death of Palooza. No, Luke, this isn't the name of the new abortion rock festival that Cannibal Corpse is headlining, yet this question is pretty damn morbid just the same. With the world opening up again in the aftermath of the pandemic and most of us trying to ignore the rise of the Delta variant, Luke, it's concert season, my friend. Every major act is already back on the road or largely preparing for a much-publicized tour. Luke, not every concert experience is ideal, though. Anything from the venue to crowd behavior to how good or bad your seats are can affect the overall experience as a fan. Sometimes, in fact, things can get outright deadly. Luke, you and I weren't alive for the ultimate free concert from 1969 when the Hells Angels stabbed and killed a fan during a Rolling Stone set. But we did live as fans from a distance to witness three other major concert disasters. Number one, February 20th, 2003, at a tiny nut club called The Station in West Warwick, Rhode Island. 100 people died and 230 were injured. I remember when faulty, that, dude. I remember faulty that. Faulty pyrotechnics caused a fire during the Great White Show, lighting flammable acoustic foam on the walls and sealing up and cooking almost dude, everyone inside. I, I remember Look, still seeing on the news, they had video of people trapped in the door jam itself who couldn't get out, who were, like, pleading to, like, pull me out. That was a horrible, horrible, horrible event. One year later, Luke, December 8th, 2004, at the El Rosa Villa nightclub in Columbus, Pantera lead guitarist Dimebag Daryl was shot and killed on stage during a show with his band Damage Plan, a very horrible night in rock history. You know, and Matt, Luke, Br- yeah, final- by the way, you know, you know Matt Brown was at that show, right? I did ask him about that in an interview once, Luke. That yeah. is wild um super crazy and finally luke from july 22nd to july 25th 1999 in rome new york woodstock 99 turned out to be an insane disaster of fires looting 
sexual assault, violence, rape, and in a newly reported development, Luke, that's part of a hook to preview this oncoming HBO documentary about this, the concert, it was found out that due to a water shortage, which we all knew about, the fans had broke into the water pipes meant for the sinks and bathrooms in order to open up water. And what it did, Luke, is it led to a large leak of shit. So, Luke, all those visions we've seen from Woodstock 99 of people rolling around in the mud and sliding down, it has been in hindsight revealed that that was a mixture of raw sewage, water, and mud. They were rolling around in shit on top of everything else awful that happened in that big-time money scam called Woodstock 99. So, Luke... Given the disastrous turnouts of all three shows, the threat of death for everyone involved, and the potential PTSD of emotional fallout of having been there, which show, if forced to go back in a time machine and attend in the front row, would you most have rathered to be forced to attend, knowing that your safety in advance was not guaranteed? I'll go Woodstock 99. I remember where I was for that. So I was on temporary active duty at that time. And uh, that weekend, I had gotten Liberty and a bunch of Marines I was with at the time. We went to Palm Springs. Shouts to Palm Springs. And uh, we just partied out there and got a hotel room and blah, 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 blah. And I remember, like, um, we had beers in the tub. That was a fun time. That was a fucking fun time. I don't know if we showered, but we had beers in the tub, BC. Filled with ice. It was fucking great. And uh, uh, Luke, what now I could get choosing that because one, if you're going to have a death defying concert experience, at least have a good lineup of acts. That was a loaded show yes. Two, You already know there's a chance to get shot or burned to death in the other two. But yes. Luke, you all have gone there, had to sleep out in insanely hot summer weather, have to pay like 10 bucks for a water bottle and find out after the fact that you moshed and rolled around in your actual shit. Luke, this is uh. And you could have got burned, Luke, when they when they rioted. So this is interesting, yeah. Luke. I mean, to be clear, there isn't a chance in hell I would have gone to any of those shows, and I didn't. But I remember watching on stage, and even when he died recently, you could see the video from it. Just to be able to see a prime DMX totally in command of his game at that time, having a crowd that size in the palm of his hand. Um, you know, and the place was big enough where you, you know, if you were clever enough like me, you, I think you could have avoided most of the feces i guess i don't know but i'll say this man that was like woodstock 99 was egregious and stupid and totally unnecessary it really had nothing to do with the first woodstock either in spirit or continuity of music or anything really it was just a cheap ploy but but if you just look at the fucking bands dude that was like a 90s yeah you know we grew up in the 90s bc we went to high school in the 90s and whatnot man that was like Jesus, that was so perfect in terms of capturing the spirit of the time, not just in rock, but in rap, as I mentioned. I'll take a little bit of the risk that came with what Woodstock 99 provided, given the payoff, although Limp Bizkit performed as well. But, um, but, but, <laughs> At the peak you know, of their fame, Luke. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not trying to get shot in Ohio or fucking burned to death in a great white show. You know, At a bare minimum, like Damage Plan, I like. I didn't like Damage Plan all that much, you know? Um, and just to watch, you know, a great, uh, the great uh, Dimebag Daryl just get fucking, you know, we're talking about one of the great metal guitarists of all time. Just watch him get bucked to death in front of you. Like, ah, fuck that. I'm not into that. So I'll take my risks with the feces from the animals. You and Matt Brown could have been Eskimo bros for life, Luke. 
That'd have been interesting. So again, right, here you're just making it weirdly sexual in a way that has nothing to There's do nothing with it. There's nothing sexual but... about that. That term could have multiple meanings. Literally. It doesn't, though. It doesn't. You know, the word titty has a meaning. It doesn't mean by the sandwich I'm going to eat later. Anyway, Luke, thank you for playing my stupid wheel game. That's it for the week. We do have one more segment, Luke. It's uh, morningcombat at gmail.com is our preferred email for all things pictures, artwork, whatever you got. This is your chance to be on our show and call the shots. We call this thing fan submission. Fan submissions we've got mail all right all right let's see we've let's see now, hold on bc let me set this up for just a second because i've been shitting on the donks we love them but the few past few weeks bc we've been out here we've been grinding you and i've been traveling we've been doing playing mr mom while our, our wives are away and the submissions have not been there in the way that i've had hoped I, I'm, I'm hopeful that today is a bit of a rebound yeah, you're looking for Gracie-level submissions right here, Luke. And I, I, I know at least one person responded in an outrageously large way. We'll find that out to close this segment. But, yeah, let's go, Donks. We challenge you. Let's see what you got. We've got mail. We've also got an overwhelming amount of white male fans, Luke. So here they are. Bruce and Steve sliding in. Donks, we have a problem. What's up, Luke and BC? Hello from Space Center, Houston. My brother, yeah. Steve. Steve is the one in the, uh, in the tank top, Luke. His family came out to visit Bruce in who's wearing the old-school merch 1.0 green T-shirt and his family for the week. Wow, shout-out to these two. Um, shout-out to Bruce in that, Luke. He's going to look at the guns. Look at the gun show. I think he's been doing some curls. Also, Bruce says, for the first time ever, after being apart for a long COVID haul, these two brothers will be enjoying MK together thanks to vaccines because science. We don't miss an episode and love watching the show grow and evolve with the new content. Great stuff from 264 in Vegas. <laughs> if you're ever in Houston, maybe we could meet up at the Space Center and find Uranus together. <laughs> P1 for life, Bruce and Steve. Luke, I'd be I'd look for anuses with these two guys. They're of our ilk, okay? This is why we need to take the MK desk on the road, bro, because we've got people like this all over North America that we could cater to. Yeah, shout out to Bruce there getting his brother involved, Luke, and little little uh, little uh, editorial there on on COVID, Luke from from good old Bruce. It's really not though. It's basic. It's just basic modern medicine. There's nothing wrong with the vaccine. Go get it, unless you're a fucking idiot. Well, most. Yeah, all right, we'll leave it that. We'll leave that there, Luke. Let's keep it going here. Doug says, I had a work on Friday and couldn't make it to the MK Live show, but here's a picture of my dad and I repping MK at the fight Saturday night. How about next time you guys are in town having a live post show in Vegas? Thanks for all the content. With all the BDE, you guys will be at 100K in no time. Luke, look at Doug's father. How about this, brother? Yes. Dude, that guy is an American hero. How How is the White House not putting the president presidential medal of freedom on this civilian what a fucking you know, winner he is doug's dad should have wore that shirt when he stormed the capitol luke we would have been shouting him out this is great you know <laughs> dude what would we do if there was like we joke about it can you imagine though of, like the dude who had his feet on like pelosi's desk you know and he had an mk shirt on i don't oh, know why I, I don't know i'd be like i'd be sized for the promotion but kind of like worried about it too you know <laughs> it, yeah. it would have been a thing Luke, your thoughts on Doug repping this MK shirt to 264. I didn't see him in the building, but that's fantastic. No, I didn't see him in the building either, but I appreciate it both ways. And uh, glad father and son could have a good time together, both at the fights and over the podcast itself. Good good shit. Hey, well, if we can get your dad on the show, Luke, we can we can break some subscription records. You'll never there. get All right, my dad Luke. on the show. 
Luke, one of my favorite listeners, Antoine, who recently moved to Alaska. He sends me nature pics all the time. Luke in BC, sending more love from Alaska. Love the new merch. I got the bottle, the hippie hat, and the zip-up hoodie. I didn't know we sold hippie hats. But knowing Alaska shipping, I only got my bottle in time. I didn't get my bottle in time, but I was able to take these when my mom came to visit. Love the content and can't wait to see you donks live someday. Much love, Antoine in Alaska. He says, P.S., my mom isn't that short. I'm just 6'8 and 235 on my way to Factory Liver MMA, BC, so watch out. <laughs> Factory Liver, that's a good one. They say for 680 stud. Luke, your thoughts on Antoine? Remember he was that dude who took the picture on the beach in California with the MK shirt and then he moved up north? Yeah, I mean, he's on the run from the law up there in, in uh, Alaska, but it looks beautiful, I have to say. Can you zoom in on that, Manish? Look at this husky fella. I like it. This guy's great, Luke. He's always climbing mountains out there in beautiful Alaska. He, he sends has, me he, pictures of the local tail, Luke, that he's pulling, too. Yeah, so, he's uh, got very uh, nicely washed dungarees. Yeah, I think he works outside for a living. I'm not, I don't know no, much he about does. I, 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 I'm, I'm being shitty, but he does. He clearly does. It looks like prime Bill Walton there. Shout out to Antoine. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for wearing our merch around the the least populated state in the union besides Wyoming. <laughs> All right, uh, Luke William is sli sliding in here. For my fan submission, I rep the donks, merch 2.0, uh, at a submission-only grappling competition and went to the podium twice wearing the shirt. I've been here since the first episode, and I'm so excited to see what you all are doing. Congrats on the success. Keep up the good work. Also, if Luke gets back into BJJ, dibs on his first roll. Luke mm. William's coming for that ass, bro. Yeah, I mean, the chance of me going back is close to zero, but um, yes, I will reserve space for listeners, hardcore listeners, no less. By the way, sub, I, which one did you say it was? Sub only? Yeah, sub only grappling tournament. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's the way it should be for some of these things. So, uh, shouts to this gentleman. Great, great fan. Yeah, shouts to him going up to the podium to win his medal with the MK yeah. uh, Fight Club shirt on. Love that. Good for you, William. You're a good dude. You, you fill that shirt out well, by the way. I can see you've been in the gym. All right, Luke, let's go over to Lee. He says, greetings from Taiwan. Just working out in my home gym, listening to my favorite rap record. Ten points to name the record. I put the big weights on to impress Luke. Sorry, BC. I love me some Steely Dan, but it's not good workout music. Oh, and my merch 2.0 hoodie arrived just in time for the tropical summer. Stay frosty, Lee. Luke, international shipping. It works, brother. Taiwan on. Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan is uh, uh, a great place. He's got about, um, I'm going to guess, around we 25 pounds total in his hands because he's got the Cambridge yeah. bar with like the Can you zoom two and in, half I like those speakers, Luke. Those that's a that's a decent setup stereo wise. What rap album is that? I can't make it out. Luke. That's uh, Wu Tang. Enter the uh, Thirty Six Chambers. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Okay. He's got the turntable, Luke. I like this guy. All right. He's got you know cable management needs some work, but otherwise he's killing it. Do you think uh, Lee is uh, turning around some high, some high quality Poontang on that side of the world, Luke? He might be. I don't. I don't know exactly how friendly the Taiwanese are to uh, people who are, you know, not natively Taiwanese. But um, uh, I dated a Taiwanese girl for a time. BC, how about that? Oh hey, oh hey, Luke. Okay, look at this. Look at this. I like it. All right, Luke. Before I say something more inappropriate, let's keep it going. Danny's here. He says, "Loving a bit of MK in the in the garden." Danny from the UK. Yes. Look at that dog too, Luke. A dog is killing the game right now. Black Lab and or some kind of you know Black Lab ish dog. By the way, the backyard setup with... looks pretty good. Yeah, the Brits love their backyard gardens, Luke. They love it. Do they? Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time thing. Yeah. 
They, don't, they, don't, they don't like most people with backyards, myself not included in that. I mean, Brits usually have small backyards in these in these towns, but they like jazz it up and grow shit there and put out plants. I mean, they they tend to care. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making shit up, Luke. But I, I feel like I'm onto something here. Shout out to that dog there from Danny. Uh, Luke, I love that we got so much international flair. You know what I'm saying? Me too. I like that. I agree. I, mean, that. I, ever, I agree. I agree. We ever get fired and have to be on the run from our own country here, Luke? We have a, we have a soft landing to go. Okay, we'll come down there to Australia and uh, take on the submission bros. All right. All right. Sounds good. I love those guys. Okay. Though. Yeah, I like those guys. All right, Luke, Timmy's here. He says, sorry it's a little late. Hope it makes the cut. With love, it's Timmy Poo. <laughs> that is well done, Luke. Is that the Travis Barker? Uh, who's yeah, he kissing? I know. I wanted to hit them with a hockey stick when they were fucking doing this. I was like, will you two disgusting animals please not do this on a fucking broadcast? Look, you ever this been is, on like that, a Ferris wheel and you look over and two two teenagers are going at it like this, Luke, and it's just like it's a little gross, a little gross. Dude, right? if okay. people if you're gonna kiss in public, try not to look like you're trying to eat each other's faces, please, for the rest of us. Fucking it looks gross like he's trying to eat her soul, Luke, but that's a well done meme, just the same, Timmy. Uh Jason's here with three submissions. What's going on, BC and Luke? Jay from Boston, back for the second time. This go around, I'm paying my respects to MK's love of hip hop. Much respect to you, BC, for consistently adding in some timeless verses into your daily art. Number one, first we have Bushwick Brian and the Ghetto Boys. Luke, I cannot tell you. Can we blow this up, Manich? I cannot tell you how much I love this because the Ghetto Boys, we can't be stopped. Was one of the seminal albums of my largely oh, yeah. commercial turn to hip hop in the '90s. Uh, is that Willie G, the Gangster of Love, on the left? And that's uh, who's the other Scar- guy, Luke? Scarface on the right. Yes. Oh, love that shit. Look at that. I love that shit. Number two. Next, we have the notorious L-U-K-E. Luke, you gotta show some love to Biggie's verses for the next Dead Wrong segment. I always, uh, whenever we do the Dead Wrong, I always wrap the Eminem uh, part of the Eminem Biggie song. So I guess I have to step it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Finally, Jason says, last but not least, I found out what y'all were really doing down in Miami during Mayweather. Paul, here is two live combat. Keep up all the great work. <laughs> Me love you long time, Jason. That may have been racist, Luke, but I love you. As I'll, nasty you know, as they want to be. God bless right. two live crew. Boy, two live crew was out there doing stuff like this before anyone really was. They're awesome. Luke, it was apropos that when you and I walked down to the ringside area, which we did not stay long at because of that torrential downpour, which then fried my laptop, um, the the name tag on the table said Luke Campbell, Morning Combat. It did. It did say that. Um, yes. What can I say? Uncle Luke in the house. All right. Roger says, uh, no picture, just a question. Hey, guys. My wife and I are big fans of the show. We watch MK all day. We had planned to be in Vegas for your live show and would have loved to come see it, but we had to cancel our trip. My wife came down with a medical condition, a.k.a. being pregnant. We are doing a gender reveal in a couple weeks. As you can see by my email, my last name is Slice. I am a longtime hardcore MMA fan, as is my wife. If it is a boy, I am pushing hard for the middle name to be Kimbo. So the middle and last name would be Kimbo Slice. What do you guys think of that? I feel like it's almost too perfect. I currently have my wife at a level of serious consideration. Maybe you two can push her over the edge for me. Keep up the good work. Look forward to getting your two cents. First, Luke, you should tell Roger why he should abandon the gender reveal idea, right? 
Yeah, it's a made-up thing for no fucking reason. Your gender reveal should happen with your doctor in a private office and not with exploding fucking fireworks or Rube Goldberg domino experiments. Quit finding reasons to party. You want to go party, just have a fucking party. But like, you know, oh, we're going to have a gender reveal. What the fuck is that? A gender Look, reveal what do you is- think about those greedy people who have engagement parties? Your gift is the, your spouse, bro, okay? Congratulations, you got engaged. I'm going to go to your wedding. I'm going to spend like a, a lot of money like at your wedding. Shower? Okay? Like, what do you mean? No, people have engagement parties in which they invite everyone they know over, and those people, like, laud them with money. Aren't they supposed oh, to do that insane. at the damn wedding? Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Yeah. Like, that's, that's double dipping. Listen, you gotta pay, if you're going to do wedding gifts right, you got to come up off your pockets a little bit. It's about 150 a person is the sort of standard way to do it in, in Los Estados Unidos. Okay, fine. Oh, I, you know, I guess I'm as cheap as I am as a tipper in a restaurant, Luke. I was not following. Yeah, dude, you're not a good bit. tipper, which is a shock to me. You're terrible at it, which I can't believe. I, I'm trying to change my ways. It's not that I disrespect the service industry. I've just industry. I've just never had money, Luke. And now it's like I'm just used to being a dirt hole. So yeah, let me let me yeah. put a little respect on those. But yeah, like dude, you're double dipping. I mean, I, uh, uh, I think bridal sh- showers are okay, or you know, when the, if someone's going to have a baby, it's a baby shower's fine. Uh, obviously a wedding is perfectly okay, but all that other shit is just people trying to get their friends and neighbors to, you know, float their life. No, save your money, fuckface. And if you want to have a party, have a party. Quit doing fireworks and fucking exploding tricks because your kid and- either has a, a dick and balls or doesn't. All right, what do you say to Roger Slice, who's him and his wife are watching this right now? Shout out to them being great MK and great MMA fans. Should they consider... The middle name Kimbo in this case, Luke, are they setting their child up for disaster? Like when kids name their sons King or something like that, I'm like, oh, come on. He's probably going to be a dirt hole now. He's probably going to be a panhandler. Listen, if you want to see your kid with his feet up on Pelosi's desk and then bail him out under federal indictment or whatever, yeah, by all means, give him a middle name Kimbo. If you'd like him to have a normal life, give him a normal name. How about Dada? Yes, give him a normal name like Dada Five Thousand or whatever the fuck it was. Um, what what should can you do? You have another MMA related name? I guess you can't have another one because his last name's Slice. There's really no going back from this. It's not like you could yeah, say. Yeah, and don't do yeah, that and, something stupid like, oh, my middle name's Orange. Like, oh fuck. Quit, all right, quit what if, we don't know Roger's makeup. I mean, we can guess he's a white male, but what if he's such an MMA fan that they decide to give their kid their son? Let's say it's a, it's a boy. They're like, all right, we love MMA so much. Here's our boy. It may be spelled Roger, but we pronounce it Hodger. Are they are they Portuguese or are they Brazilian or something? No, they're just some white MMA fans. Luke, is that okay? Or I mean, is that okay? I mean, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> don't pronounce it Sade. It's Charday, Luke. Okay, all right. Don't. In fact, this is Roger. This guy's name is Roger, so maybe he names his kid Roger Junior, but never pronounced the ZR. Luke, it's possible. All right, it's possible. It's possible. All right, finally, Luke, I hyped this up at the beginning. You tell me if I got this wrong. Do you remember a fellow from Stockton, California named Damien who had really, I'm going to have to get a psychologist involved, the scariest tattoos on his body I've ever seen, yet is a three-needle brethren with myself and is a P1 fan of this game. Here's his message. Revelry, revelry, donks. It's Damien from Stockton. And today I am fired up. Today I got the BDE. No, I didn't visit GetRoman.com. Even better. Today I made history by getting the first ever morning combat tattoo. My abuela was not happy with me getting another tat, but I told her I love MK like family, except in this family, there are no divorces. 
I don't mesh with any other show the way I do MK. I love the energy from BC, my three needles brethren, and Professor Salt and Pepper. I look forward to MK almost as much as the fights. What can I say? I'm a proud donk. Keep up the great content, or may I, or may I, I may have to come to storm the Room Service Diaries episode and spice it up a bit. Stay frosty, Damien from Stockton. Luke, I don't even know what to say, and I'm not being, I'm not kidding here. This guy on a viable part of his body just put us on there. Look. Forever. Forever, Trevor. I mean, yo, Damien, shout out, bro. I mean, Luke, what do you say? Uh, you look, you're speechless. What are you going to say right now? What do you say? The thumb is a little jacked. Um, oh, oh, come on. You don't. don't you... <laughs> look, I mean, how do you... <laughs> you're like, I would have preferred if he went to Mr. Hebos's tat. Uh, guy. Now, look, you would say, despite the, the scary nature of his tats, his, his artwork's pretty good, right, Damien? Yes, in, in general. And in general, this is fine. The thumb is a little bit messed up, but it's fine. Um, oh, come on, Luke. Well, I don't think it's the end of the world or anything. I just think the tip of the thumb is a little bit off. Uh, but uh, in general, what I would say is that doesn't matter at all. And what is a bigger takeaway, and in all seriousness here at BC, is this is what I mean, man. It's like, dude, like, why does the 100,000 subscriber count matter? On some level, it's just an arbitrary number that they just picked that you get you know, a prize for. But the, the, the thing that it says to me is it's like, dude, it's not even about like you're the pieces of work that you did. It's about... It's about the audience. It's about that you have a relationship with the audience that obviously matters to enough of them to count in some kind of a significant number. This is evidence of that. Dude, we've got literal fucking fans getting tattoos of our Dude. logo before even we did. I mean, it just tells you this guy has lost his mind a little bit, but also a little bit, a little bit, a little that, bit. that we have a pretty special connection with our fans. Dude, Damien, like, thank you. Luke, I feel like we, we got to get this guy on, on, on the show. Like, we got to get him on, like, a live Zoom right now. I mean, Luke, I don't even know what to say. I mean, that that's forever, Luke, right there. And it looks great. And our logo's luckily cool. Uh, you can talk about that thumb all you want. But, I Luke, I'm, I'm almost, like, afraid and embarrassed. I don't want to tarnish the MK brand so that he doesn't have to explain this the rest of his life. Oh, you know, oh, hey, hey, Damien, what's that on your bicep? Oh, yeah, there was that show they they molested kids in the end but there was that show i used to watch you know i don't want anything bad to happen to us now luke because wait what am i talking about damien's got tattoos that could make people turn around and run in the other direction uh, maybe maybe we're fine on his body look it's um it's a testament to what we're building bc it's a testament to who the fans are and their sacrifice for us but it's also a testament to the kind of community i think that we're fostering here crazy ones in all seriousness but... what's the scariest of his tattoos the fact that he put us on there or the fact that he has a Baby with devil horns held by the by a by the Pope, or that he has a young girl hung to death on his chest. Luke, your thoughts? Yeah, and a demonic Pope, not even a normal Pope. Uh, I would say that the young little girl being hung uh, from a tree on his chest is disturbing. Can you imagine taking your shirt off trying to get laid, and like the girl sees that, or even the dude, it, or whoever? It might, it might help him, Luke. You know, some girls like like edge. You know, they like spice. They like the guy from the other side of the tracks. You know, this guy Damien's hardcore, bro. Okay. And by the way, if you need to know who this was, in that famous now the now famous Luke, it's almost like a it should be a painting or something of you and I celebrating at the end of the live show. He was the guy between us taking down the shotgun and that beer, Luke. Fantastic. Yes, he is a committed. 
He is a committed P1, BC. That's what they call him in radio. P1. Doesn't so miss a fucking So what do you show. think this says to guys like Dickaltz, guys like the great, the freaking great Web Scream, who I have his art behind me. Shout out to the birth and growth of your son, Web Scream. We love you over there in Italy. What does this say to, to uh, the defending champion fans of this show, Luke? Step your game up. The, the, the bar has been raised, ladies and gentlemen. This is now the new standard. This is the gold I mean, standard in MK Donkery fandom. I mean, right wh there. why don't you get... Luke, until I see your name tattooed on some guy's dick, no one's beating this. You looking at a lot of dicks for my tattoo <laughs> name? <number? laughs> I search all our viewers just to check, see how hardcore they are, Luke, okay? If you got a big... We, MK will search it, all right, bro? Okay? Wow. Uh, seriously, Damien, I don't... I mean, look, how do we end this show? I mean, that, that guy's a brother for life. We love this. Yeah. We love this man, all right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty incredible, I have to say. That's amazing. What do you um, think about you and me going to Stockton, we call up Damien, and then we we hang out and we do MK After Hours, uh, you know, TA, no THC minimums with the Diaz brothers, and we just bro out. Room service diaries with Damien and the Diaz's, Luke. That'd be pretty pretty special. Although he's... I, I don't know if I want to spend that much time with him. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say, dude? I'm a misanthrope. I mean, I am what I am, dude. You know this about me. You know this. I am what I am, bro. I am. Uh, all right, well, that's it for us today. Great show, great Wheel of Death, great fan subs. Appreciate all of them. Keep sending them in if you want to do that. Or stuff for Fridays, Dead Wrong, easy place to do it. Morningcombat at gmail.com. That's the email. Uh, send whatever you have, and you can send it now, tomorrow. Don't, don't wait till Wednesday. Just send it whenever you got it, and our producers will collect it. Um, as always, like the video, hit subscribe. MK is everywhere on the socials. BC and I are everywhere on the socials. Um, we have slightly different names, BC and I, between Twitter and Instagram, but Morning Combat is consistently the same name on every piece of uh, social that it has. If you want to try Showtime, you can. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. You like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go do something else. Uh, and uh, we got merch, BC. You go to morningcombat.store. Worldwide shipping now available. What did I... Oh, and your interviews. Ostovich, Dillashaw. Who else you got coming out, BC? I got Aspen Lad today. Should be fun. I've already got anti-vax emails, BC. People like bragging to me that the, I'll never get the vax. Yeah, because you're a fucking idiot. That's why. Um, uh, okay, Luke. Uh, well, I, I don't disagree with you, but okay. That's that's a harsh response. Uh, Luke, um, I forgot what I was going to say. It probably wasn't important at all, Luke. Oh, you you did an interview with uh, Por with Poirier's guy. You're not promoting it at all, Luke. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't mean to not do that. I, I, I send it around on all my social outlets. But uh, yeah, I had a, a talk with uh, Phil DeRue. Phil DeRue is the head trainer or performance coach, whatever you want to say, of uh, Dustin Poirier. Many people, including the, uh, the, the, the famed producer, Tim Baland. Um, he's done incredible work with him. And uh, we talked about not just BC Poirier's performance and what they were expecting and what they might be expecting a little bit with... Uh, Oliveira, but also I asked him about McGregor coming back from the injury and w to what extent he's trained people with those kinds of fairly, that's, I mean, that's a traumatic injury that he had and what that's been like and, and how he would approach it. And so tons of good yeah. stuff in there. Phil is very accomplished, very smart, very interesting guy. So I strongly you, recommend you guys check that out. Timbaland and Magoo guy from back in the 90s, Luke? That's him. Yes, that's him. Timbaland. Remember he did that, they did that song with that chick. What was her name? She was real hot, Luke. Maya? Maya, right? Oh, by the way, we got it wrong. 
Punahele Soriano is not coconut bombs. That's Maki Patolo. We got that wrong. All right. Sorry, all Hawaiians do not. They fight alike, though, Luke. They don't look like they fight alike. I love they're, it. They're tough them. bastards, but no, they do. They yeah. deserve to have the names that have been given to them. All right, BC, that's it for you and me. So thanks to Malka, CBS Sports, and Showtime for the King of Connecticut, Brian Campbell. I'm Luke Thomas. Back tomorrow with the live chat, and then Friday, going to get you ready for all the weekend's fights. Don't go anywhere. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.